everybody. Hope you are all well. We're uh, getting in pretty close to the end of winter here. I gotta say, I am eager for spring to come, and uh, our, our thoughts are, of course, uh, first and foremost with the people of Ukraine, and we should say the people of Russia, mm. who, uh, who are, are not the bad guys mm. here. Yes. Right? Uh, no, this, you know, this they're is about suffering Vladimir too. Putin in a circle That's of cronies, it. relatively small, uh, and to a yep. certain extent, a military excuse me, which, which at the top of which are still a part of that circle of cronies. Those generals and things that, 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 that run yep. the Russian army, they're still billionaire cronies. Of Vlad- they're, they're not generals like our generals. Yes, they're yeah. generals, and they're in the army, but they're, but they're not generals yeah. like our generals. They're, they're, they're still, they're no, still no. cronies of Vladimir Putin. And once you get down to about the colonel level, uh, 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 the equivalent of a colonel or a lieutenant colonel, that's when you start running into actual military people who are in the military, you know, doing, doing yep. things that that they're that they're that they're uh, tell them so. And, and to a certain extent, um, I have a, 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 a small amount of empathy for the standing around, walking around, everyday Russian grunt soldier who is who has no idea what like, he's what doing. The fuck is going on here? I, you know, I just, I, I just, you know, I, it's like that's you know. I anyway, yeah. just I just want to say that because I do understand it's, that I, I do, as I do a former too. troop. I do you know, too. You know, I, I've been in situations because where. Where some commanders have told me to do some shit, and I was like, "What the fuck? Are you serious? Are you sure if that's the order?" You know, yeah. I've been there. Yep, yep. I and I think every every you know we so we're just we're just trying to you know focus on the people yes. here because on this show we have uh, we have reviewed uh, Ukrainian movies and Russian movies and artists and filmmakers who are part of a grand beautiful <laughs> community, and uh, we don't want the 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 madness of some some bad politicians to uh, to disrupt that. Got to hold that community yeah. together. So that being said, Tim, uh, talking about holding a community together, um, Oscars are kind of blowing up uh, in a nasty way. Everyone in the Academy, and I mean like everyone, is revolting. And it was it was at first a trickle. There were a handful of voices saying, uh, I'm kind of insulted. There's a sound designer or a sound editor, actually, an Oscar-winning sound editor, who's worked with Spike Lee and with James Cameron and a whole lot of people. He resigned from the Academy in protest over mm-hmm. this. Uh, then John Williams came out against this. And then there was a big letter signed by like 70 or 80 people, including James Cameron and John Williams and Spielberg and who knows who else. And, and, uh, they're, they're really under pressure now, uh, to, to back off and to, to include those categories in the last yeah. show. So I don't know what's going to happen, but it's kind of blowing up. It, it, it is interesting. You know, a, a few days ago, uh, a news story came out that suggested that, that Disney forced the Oscars to pull. Uh, some of those a- through, ABC. through ABC because you know Disney owns ABC. Yeah, uh, but yeah. you know, but it was, but it's like, um, so uh, yeah, to me at this point, uh, the the who's at fault is irrelevant. It should be clear that yeah. this is a mis- a mistake. <laughs> this you know, this was a, this yeah. is a bad idea, and I don't understand why why what's so difficult about simply saying, oh, we're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. We didn't. We 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 were ignorant. We did not understand. Yeah. Uh, and just saying, all of those categories are going back into the show. Terribly sorry. Terribly I, sorry. I, I, yeah, apparently, apparently, this is what happened. Apparently, the ABC execs were going to play hardball and say, if you don't make these changes, we're going to exercise this this nuclear clause and we're going to cancel the whole show. At which point, the Academy should have said. No, okay. Then we'll live yeah, stream. We'll live stream on. on, on then, yeah. then you, then you know, then you'll, then you'll just look like like schmucks. Yeah. But they didn't because the academy is governed by by people with no backbone, and uh, they caved. and uh, And and apparently, this is also what goes on. I found this interesting. I, I never knew this before. After every year's Oscar show, and this is the academy's fault for even allowing this to happen. 
after every year's Oscar show, Academy uh, administration sits down with the ABC execs and the ABC execs show them their data, however it's oh, gathered, yeah. that shows that shows every like every minute uh, on a graph of the show, like where the where the viewership drops and where it comes back up, you know. And you're supposed to correlate that to like see when you're talking about the short categories, nobody's watching, so you need to bump those. And they point out this. I mean, first of all, if I'm the Academy and ABC calls up and says, "Yeah, we'd like to have our our little uh, sit down and talk about," I would cut them off and just say, "I'm sorry." There, there's no yeah. sit down. We put on a show and we deliver it to you and you air it and you sell whatever advertising yeah, you can. It. And and that's the arrangement. And and otherwise, just run because along. the show is the show is the show. Uh, this isn't an yeah. episode of uh, whatever the fuck. Uh, yeah. You, you know, this is this is the Academy Awards and they yeah. are they are the show. Uh, and, you know, um, um, the, the, the one thing that a network can do that I think that they have the right to do. Um, uh, is to be, uh, a particular about length. Um, we, we are yeah. selling you X number of hours, uh, or you're buying X number of hours, you know, whatever yeah. the thing of it is. Uh, and this sort of floaty kind of, you know, before <laughs> we're not doing that. The you show is over. At you know what? The show is over. Tim, there have been, there have been shows that came in at a totally decent running time. There have been all of those old Guild Case yeah. shows. They did not run forever. Gilt Cates ran a tight ship, you know? And the problem is ABC wants to keep carving more and more running time out of the show to sell more and more mm-hmm. advertising. What they might want to do is carve out fewer minutes, but charge more mm-hmm. for it so that it stands mm-hmm. out. You know, that kind of creative thinking doesn't, it never occurs to network yeah. people. But, but, but the Oscars consistently had like 40 million viewers. I mean, I talked, you, you had me into, into a class the other day, and yes, I think yes, I said yes. this, right? They, they had, they had 40 million viewers consistently, give or take, for decades, for decades, e- even into VHS and cable and everything. It was like a solid number of 40 million film fans who would tune in on a, on a yearly basis. Sometimes it might dip into the 30s. Occasionally, like with ET and Titanic, it would pop up into, you know, 50 million territory. But for the most part, it was 40 until Don Hudson mm. took over. And, you know, they started doing 10 nominees and nominating, you know, really, really obscure independent films because the studios weren't making good movies anymore. And then last year, it just cratered down to 10 million for obvious reasons. But what they need to do is get some Gil Cates discipline back in there, reclaim the the running time of the show, stop with all this dumb banter. I don't need, you know... I don't need Ben Affleck and, and Matt Damon to walk up and, and start reenacting some buddy scene from no, no, just, just shut up. Just walk up to the microphone, say, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you too. These are the nominees exactly. and, and just do it. Just, just hit me with it. Don't, don't give me some shtick. You cut all that dumb shtick out that, 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 you know, a writing staff sits around and, and gets paid to, to way too much money to, to come up with. Cut out all that stuff. Cut out, you know, cut, uh, cut out the sticks and the bits. And All the, the bits, bits uh, like like Ellen ordering the pizza for everybody, or doing the the the, the giant selfie. Yeah, yeah. Who was it that got the pizza? Was that Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah, even the, remember yeah, anymore. The, the thing with the butt, all of that. And and look, back in the yeah, day, I enjoyed a good Billy Chris, Crystal opening number. Yeah, because you know he's Billy freaking Crystal. He can sing, he can dance. Yeah, you know it's the opening number. That didn't bug me. That didn't bug me. No. Um. Uh. But after that, let's do the show. Let's do the show. Let's just do the show. And part of and and part of the point of a host as well is to keep things moving along. Yes. Yes. Right. 
And, and that's why, and that's why I think, you know, multiple hosts this year, eh, we'll, we'll see how that frames out. They've tried that in the past and it's been hit and miss, but that's why you typically want to have a comic. You want to have, that's why Bob Hope did it. That's why Johnny Carson yeah. did it. I, I think Ellen did, did a good job. I, I even think the Letterman year was quite good. Chris Rock had some, had some, had some good shows because comics, the whole point of when you've done stand up is you know how to move the thing along. Yeah. You just know how to move yeah. the thing along. You, that's what you got to do when you're coming. You got to keep the audience yeah. engaged. Yeah, and you, you don't, know? You don't necessarily have to depend on all that writing. Frankly, do away with all of those writers. Bring in sharp, funny people. Mostly read the cue cards uh, for, you know, related to what's happening in the yeah. show. And if you find the moment to get in there, like Johnny, uh, or, 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 or like you said, Whoopi Johnny, and then get in there, tell a joke, and then we move on again. And that's why I say bring on Kevin Hart. Kevin Let Hart. Kevin Hart get yeah. that crack. He's, you know what? You brought James Gunn back to, to do Guardians of the Galaxy. You left him in jail for, for like 10 minutes. Bring Kevin Hart back. He, you know, uh, he's the, that, that whole thing is washed away. So yeah. let him, let him give him his, and you know what? Shot. You know what's um, funny is that we don't seem to have gotten yet that generally speaking, whatever it is that's got us all agitated in any given moment will not have us agitated. In about, oh no, eight, nine, ten months. It's just, it's just, it's just <laughs> you don't know, really get that anymore. You know, I was mad about really something true. about a year ago. What was that? What was that? that I was that, really that, mad. That's was really was so, true. What was it? I can't, ah, well, whatever. <laughs> I, I didn't know it it's true. Away. It it's true. Dude, I had, so I, I, I have a friend from, uh, you know, when I was in junior high. And, and the, the, the joke with him was that he would always get mad at you. Like he, he had a grudge against everybody for six months at some point. <laughs> at some point, there was like a six month period when he was not talking to you and he was giving you stink eye across the campus. And we all knew it. We're like, oh, yeah, that's you. Now it's your turn. <laughs> you know, give it six months. He'll be back. He'll be, he'll be back on me. He just, he'd really hold a grudge. And the only reason those grudges ever went away was because he just stone cold forgot about what he was mad about. He just, he just, and eventually he was like, why am I mad? I don't even remember what uh, he did. That, I just, I just went away. didn't actually do anything. <laughs> you, away. So anyway, that's hysterical. Uh, what did you want to do? You wanted to talk about. Yeah, let's talk. So something very interesting happened with, with, uh, at Cinema Blend. We don't often talk about other outlets here, but, uh, Cinema Blend ran a review of, uh, Turning yeah. Red. Now, for those who don't know, um, Turning Red is the new Disney Pixar film, and uh, it's uh, it's the same filmmaker who made Bow, and she won a uh, an Oscar for Bow, the short Bow, and she has now made a feature that is also very rooted in her personal experience, and um, which you know, growing up Chinese in Canada and with immigrant parents, it's very much you know when she was 13, 13 year old girl child of immigrants coming of age and there's a fantasy element to it you know that ancestrally they their family they are you know defended by the giant red panda and all yeah, that kind of kind of classic stuff, stuff anyway, really it is you know i mean look you, you got you got mom turning into a bear in 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 brave which yeah. is very rooted in scottish yeah. culture and this is this is you know this is more contemporary but it's it's a you similar can, thing you can find it in native american culture you can find it in black there's always some yeah. nutty story about people who turn into something turn into or, something or whatever turning into something yeah, totally. So in any case, uh, Cinema Blend posted a review in which the, the, uh, uh, Sean O'Connell, uh, I think was the, um, who wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Sean O'Connell, who's like the editor in chief or whatever of Cinema Blend. 
And he basically just said, you know, uh, I don't know if this film is going to have really a, a broad based appeal because it's like, it's about a 13 year old girl who's Chinese in Canada in Toronto. And it's all very culturally specific to age and place and culture and all this. And I couldn't really access it. And I'm not sure how many other audiences will as well. And suddenly, you know, the Twitterverse is pot dogpiling the guy, calling him a racist and a misogynist. And, you know, mm. Twitter is Twitter will just like pop off at anybody. And he had to you know, suddenly apologize and they pulled the review. Pulled the review. Now, as a film critic, uh, my view is the whole point of a review is this is how I see it. You may agree or disagree and you can attack me all you want, but I'm putting that in, out in the world. And that's my opinion. I, I did not read this one because it was pulled before I had a chance yeah. to read it. Um, but I would like to have read it. I'd like to know what his point of view was so that I actually, so that I have the freedom to agree or disagree. Exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, 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 and I didn't see anything in what was quoted that I found to be terribly offensive. I get that some people would, would be hurt by that. I, I, I don't, I don't, like, I don't even know. get why anybody would be hurt by that. To be honest, I'm, I'm I mean, sorry, keep going, but I, but I actually don't but, see you know, why if I were Canadian, if I were Canadian, uh, 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 of Chinese descent young girl, why do I care what the middle old, middle aged? I don't know. I don't I have no idea if he's a middle aged yeah. white man. No, I hear why, you. Why, why I, I, I hear you. Care? But anyway, go keep going. I, and I get you. And, and I mean, I will concede there are films culturally that I cannot access, Duh. but there are others that I can, you know, and sometimes it's one thing. Sometimes it's another, you know, we're, we all have our, our blind spots. And, and in the case of Turning Red, I even said this on the radio, uh, on Film Week, you know, is, is I, I didn't really have an, an easy access to it. It wasn't the Chinese-ness or the Canadian-ness of it. You know, like, I love Joy mm -hmm. Luck Club. That thing just hits me in the heart. But it was the 13-year-old girlness of it. That's the part I couldn't really access because, you see, I've never been a 13-year-old girl with like boy band crushes and all the other things that are part of this and her little, her little troop of, you know, 13 year old girls. So I was like, ah, you know, I, that's, I'm sure that's really great for somebody, but it's, it's, it just, it's not, it's not something that I can, I can appreciate. Yeah. So I, I don't have a problem with that, but man, this really, this really kind of blew up. And I, I fear that this kind of holding film critics to the to the flame is going to is going to increase if this is allowed to sort of well I, yeah, yeah, it's it's bullshit I reject it completely I'm I'm going to I'm, I'm going to be cursing a lot through through in, in this little section right here because that's these are the only words that actually represent my actual feelings about it bullshit uh, I, and as a black film critic for thirty years I have specifically in written reviews uh, uh, before I was on on the radio with you guys. Uh, written sentences like, if when, particularly when I was writing about, I, I remember writing in Leslie Harris about Leslie Harris's film, Best Little Girl in the IRT, early, early 90s, yeah. uh, young black woman uh, you know, you know, living in New York, uh, gets pregnant by her boyfriend and is going through all of the sort of struggles uh, that are related to that uh, in that black community uh, that she comes from. And I, and, I, and I specifically wrote, you know, uh, this, this, this is, this is a movie that, 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 uh, that, that, that white folks might not get. This is a movie that's full of black people, uh, uh, in, in these black places doing these black things. Uh, if you do, that's great, but you might not, but it, it, yeah. it, because I, and I could, I, it's perfectly reasonable for you. I know it's true because frankly, there are a whole lot of movies <laughs> about white people in white places that I don't get. I have no access to that. You and I talked about licorice pizza. Yep, right before the show. So, Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson's film, set in 1973, Los Angeles, um, uh, loosely b based around stories uh, from him and his friend uh, Gary uh, Gary Getzman. Is it 
the, yeah, the, I think so. The, yes, the, Gary Gatsby. Uh, uh, Philip Seymour's right. He he runs he runs a Tom Hanks production yeah, company. Yeah, now, you know, it's an interesting yeah. guy. He had this interesting life. Was 15 years old or so in 1973. Meets this young woman, uh, and they gather all these stories together, and they tell the story about this young white couple in 1973 Los Angeles doing all the stuff that they do. Right? Okay, I, I, yep. I kind of like this movie. It's cute. It's funny. And it's in the San Fernando the, Valley, we yes. should point out, which is which all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies are very, very centric to the San Fernando Valley where he grew up, like Boogie Nights. This movie could be concurrent. Oh, exactly. Nights. And sort of and they're yeah. all sort of loosely connected uh, to his connection to Hollywood and the yeah. film industry. Right. The, these these are yeah. all very rarefied places and spaces and people. Right. So you're watching this movie, Licorice Pizza. And I know and you know, of course, these places where we are, because, you know, you've been here all your life. I've been here for 30 years. Yeah. But I also know that most people in most places, even a lot of people from Los Angeles who are from places like Compton and Watts and and, and, and you yeah, they don't have any idea about any of this stuff that's going on. <laughs> and you and I know when we're watching that movie that uh, that Sean Penn is playing. Uh, who's he playing? William Holden. They call him. The, oh, he's playing William Holden. Him yeah. Else, but he's playing William Holden. We know that. We yeah. know, you know, you, you, all of these, because we are these sort of insiders to these jokes. But I know that most of the folks, particularly black folks that I know, out in the greater world, particularly in St. Louis, where I'm from, but out in the greater world, you know, they, they, they're not getting any of this. They're not going to get any of this. And so lately, when they've been asking me, or I've asked them, have you seen Licorice Pizza? Because, you know, it's this film that's touted as the best film of the year, and you hear it all the time. Everybody, they're like, no, should I see that? And and my answer recently has been probably not, probably not. You're probably not gonna you're not gonna get half the jokes in the film specifically. And 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 I and 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 I was just been we started the show on this. You're like save for the show. <laughs> and and I was about to say, let me tell you something. Not only should they not see it, but I would say if you are a white person who lives further than 10 miles from the actual <laughs> events in the film, you're probably not going to get yeah, it either. You know, and you might enjoy and, it because you're I, not going to get it because I, I, I was talking, I was talking to two friends of mine. They both of them live here, but they're not from here. They're from the East coast. And, and they said, yeah, yeah you know, we're talking on the phone and, and he and his wife, they said, yeah, you really like licorice pizza, didn't you? I said, yeah, I love it. And they said, uh, uh, first of all the title of the film licorice pizza i grew up in st louis yeah Uh, never heard of it did did not know it was a record store that title means nothing to me as opposed to you and i you know mark you know mark grew up here you you lived here that all means something to you that title means nothing to any just standing around black person at all it's and see the and, and I love the movie because even though I didn't grow up in the San Fernando Valley, I grew up adjacent to it. So I come from a rival community, <laughs> right? So it's sort of like I come from what what are the the bloods to the San Fernando Valley Crips. So so at least I kind of understand the you know it it I, I get it. I get the DNA, and I frequented a lot of those places, and you know we had friends there. So I mean I I got a lot of it, but I didn't even get a lot of what I thought I got. Like there are deeper levels to it. The more that I've read mm. the interviews mm. with PTA. So, so yeah, I, I, totally valid point. And that's a good example of, you know, what we're talking about with yes, turning red. Exactly. So I think, I think, I think people are overreacting to it because it is a Pixar film and because I think everybody really is pull, uh, pulling for the filmmaker so that she, you know, gets like this big shot. I, I, I think people are feeling like that this is a criticism of her because she's a woman and because she's yeah. Asian. Yeah. Right. 
And and uh, I, that's not that's not fair. Well, it's not fair know? and it's not it, accurate. It, it, worse, it's, 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 it's literally not, it's not, not accurate. accurate. The only thing that has happened here is that a film critic has watched the movie, uh, uh, analyzed the movie, uh, uh, and written about the movie from his point of view and perspective. From 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 from, from, from his level, uh, and then and then and then you know, fans of of, of literally that 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 critic will either you know agree or not agree or whatever. It doesn't really make any difference. It's irrelevant. Yeah, um, uh, it's 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 but, irrelevant. And 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 the the filmmaker we should point out, Domi Shi, D O M E E, last name S H I. Domi Shi is the filmmaker, uh, and very talented. Look, Bao is one of the most yeah. beautiful Pixar shorts ever. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful short. And this film is really well directed. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, it's very much rooted in her coming of age experience. And I think if she had done, if this had been like Francois Truffaut making 400 blows in black and white on a shoestring budget as an independent film, uh, nobody would pay attention. But because it's a, you know, $150 million Pixar film meant for general consumption, I think everybody's a little bit touchier about it. And no, they shouldn't be. It, I just don't even know how you can get there from here, except that we seem to be in that place just in society. Um, uh, I, I couldn't get there um, uh, from here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I will say this. This is what I said about licorice pizza when I was on the radio, because it, 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 um, it coordinates a little bit. Um, that it was a very specific film about a very specific place full of all kinds of jokes and, 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 and notions and ideas that if you don't know, uh, you, you will not be, you will not receive the full enjoyment of the film. You, you might watch yeah, it and still so like it. Uh, but I can promise you, you're, you're, you're not actually getting it. If you don't know who Joel yeah. Wax is, Joel Wax is, yeah. you don't literally know that he's an actual person who was actually the, the who, who ran, ran for me three times. <laughs> you, you and I were yeah. here all three times that he ran. If you don't know yeah. that he's alive and well right now in New York running the Andy Warhol Foundation, if you don't, if you don't yeah. understand that he was a closeted gay man uh, at that time, it, it, none of this will resonate with you as deep. Now, what am I saying? That's all irrelevant too. But PTA gets to make whatever film he wants to make about whatever the hell he wants to make it about. And the rest of yep. us can watch it, get it, not get it, enjoy it, not enjoy it, access it, not access it. It just, and then, and then you know, and then when you go out in the world, you say so, whether you're a film critic or not. It doesn't make any difference whether you're writing that. If he were just a person who went to see that movie and, 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 and somebody on the street say, Hey, you see that movie about the panda? I did. You know, I really couldn't access that movie. It was just so, you know, and, and, would that yeah. is should he be shunned now by his friends because <laughs> no. he didn't he didn't because he couldn't get into the Canadian Chinese panda movie? It's it's a, it's a ludicrous yeah. notion. It's a ludicrous notion. Yeah. Well, there's our exclamation point. We're gonna dive into some titles right. now. Uh, Tim, Tim, let's start on the four Ks. We got three four Ks. A little thin this week. Um, yeah. We got three four Ks. Escape from mm-hmm. L.A. on four mm-hmm. K. God only knows why somebody d- believes that this movie belongs on 4K. <laughs> I, I I guess it's I guess it's because you know they want both films on 4K because Escape from New York on yeah. 4K. We have Matrix Resurrections. Uh, I don't know even know why that movie exists. And then we also have Alligator, the <laughs> the weirdest thing in the world. But Scream Factory, Shout Factory, right? 1980 cult film Alligator. When everybody was looking for something to kind of still keep the Jaws phenomenon going, find an animal. Mm. Terrify people, piranhas, whatever it is. Alligator, alligator was it? Well, John Sales, uh, directed by Louis. Well, Louis, before he did those, what he he did those uh, those movies on the on the on the show. Uh, un, uh, was it Under Siege uh, or Sea? Oh uh, yeah, Under Siege. Those movies with with Steven Seagal. Uh, uh, 
Oh, those are those. No, that's that's, that's, not Lewis? that's getting later. That's uh, oh, Lewis might have. Did he I do think the Lewis first did one? the first one of those? It, or did he do this? He's well, in there somewhere. Lewis, Lewis, was, Lewis was a guy for a minute, and and of course, Alligator was written by John Sales. And you know, and the thing about yeah. about these cheesy movies, John wrote them well. Um, uh, he wrote all those sort of pulpy he novels did. and he stuff really like that. Did. He wrote them well, better than most folks. And you know, and this was uh, this was when Robert Forrester. This is before the big Robert Forrester comeback. Um, after, yeah. after, uh, you know, Quentin got a hold to him. So, you know, this is Robert Forrester when his hair was real and he was, uh, still kind of a badass guy. Kind of love that. Well, it's, it's, I'll say this. Uh, I'm going to recommend this, not because the 4K is particularly amazing. It's fine. It's, I mean, it's as good as you're going to get out of a 1980 exploitation film, you know, transferred to 4K because the elements are what they are. Uh, and, and it's a new 4K scan from the original negative. I mean, it is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's just not as beautiful as Dune, yeah. for example. Um, but it is, but it's nice. It's really nice. Has an audio commentary with Robert Forster and Louis Teague. Terrific. It's wonderful. Reliving the old times. It's great. It's, it's terrific. Um, the, um, all the extras are on a regular Blu-ray. So all the, you know, there's a, the regular Blu-ray has all the rest of the stuff, which has, um, uh, believe it or not, a, uh, a trailers from a hell. Thing on Alligator with Karen Kusama, who did Girl Fight and a lot of other really fine films. Like, and 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 I thought that's really interesting. Why would Karen? Oh, <laughs> that's why. You know why? Because Karen Kusama started her career as John Sayles' assistant. Oh yes, and she has a career as a filmmaker because he liked her script for Girl Fight and personally yep. financed it. Yep. Yep. God yeah, bless yeah. him. So that's so that's 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 what John's connects the man. Lewis 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 uh, was but, Navy SEALs. That's the, uh, that's yeah, the movie that I that I that's was thinking was. of. But Lewis was also Jewel of the Nile. Well, uh, let me tell you something about Alligator. So you know, Alligator had a sequel, Alligator Two. <laughs> I not think I do. And let me tell you something about Alligator Two. Alligator Two shot has a wrestling scene in it, which was shot at the Ambassador Hotel. And in that wrestling scene, uh, which is which includes a a, a really uh, a really really bad dialogue scene featuring uh, what's his name the guy from the stuntman Steve oh uh, yes Steve Railsback Rails yeah Steve Railsback so the terrible dialogue scene in there with Steve Railsback who could not remember his lines that day to save his life <laughs> and the reason I know this is because I was sitting at an adjacent table in a double breasted <laughs> suit. As an extra with two other people, including this like 60 year old lady who was swearing that her time to be a movie star was just around the corner. <laughs> and, and that's what we were talking about as extras mumbling. My, my time's going to come. My time's going to come. I swear my time's going to come. And, and meanwhile, this wrestling scene, you see me in the film <gasps> a couple of times. I, you can see me in alligator too. And, uh, it is truly embarrassing. No, it, it I, love, a, I love it. I love it. Great piece of humiliation to my to me, but anyway, that's also out. They didn't send it to us to review for obvious reasons because I would have uh, I would have told this story with even more gusto. <laughs> um, Tim, did you watch Matrix? I did, I did, because you know Sherm's a big, you know, our, our buddy Sherm's a big Matrix yeah. guy and everything. So here's you know, look, my opinion is this: I get it. Uh, 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 you Matrix, you know, you pull the trigger, do it again, every all of that's all fine. But the problem is, you have to undo everything that happened. In the, yep. and certainly the first, but all of the Matrix films in order to make this film. That means, that means that uh, the, the hero and all that I had vested, uh, it, it, yep. it, I, I have to relinquish all of that. 
And and frankly, yeah. I resent that. So I couldn't even enjoy the film I because I was I was deeply steeped in my resentment of the film. Uh, so that's the end of that. Thing. And 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 we only get like half of the Wachowskis here. This is only Lily Wachowski yeah. doing this alone, solo, which is interesting. And I have to say, I didn't even think this was very well made. No, it's very sloppy. I I thought it was sloppy. I thought, I, and they, it's not like they you know cut the budget or anything. I mean, it's loaded with 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 production value. But I thought that I thought it was sloppy. I thought the shot selection was poor. I thought the editing was poor. I thought a lot of the acting was poor. Um, I didn't think some of the scenes were constructed that well, just conceptually. I, I, it just it felt like, okay, you know, they they just somebody's going back to the Matrix well to kind of work out some issues, and I'm not even sure what those issues are. I don't know why this story needed to be told. It, I don't it, know what it, this it, course, does. It, it, it's an undoing of yeah. and. And, and, and of course, this, this one is in service of all kinds of things and, you know, fan service, I guess is what we call it, but all kinds of things. So mostly as we watch this, we're seeing, oh, that's the guy from Matrix. Oh, this is this guy from, oh, those are the twins from Matrix. Oh, you know, and so you're doing that. So all yeah. I know is it's when you're writing a screenplay, if you have to look back at three other screenplays and, and decide what little moments and elements and characters and phrases and things yeah. that you're going to, that you're going to sprinkle into this screenplay in order to satisfy. Yeah. All I know is that you're going to come up with something that's deeply, deeply unsatisfying to me. And there I it agree. is. Yep. Well, anyway, uh, it's on 4K because all the rest of them are on 4K. So it's kind of obligatory on the part of, uh, of, of Warner Brothers to have to do this. Um, you know, it doesn't have much by way of special features. It's, it's, uh, it's just kind of, uh, it's just sort of take it or leave it. And I would say leave it. Uh, lastly, Escape yeah. from LA, which has to be one of the stupidest yeah. sequels ever made. But, you know, like that whole wave sequence and his skydiving crap, like it, it's almost like John Carpenter just said, did the same thing here, only with less success that Joe Dante did with Gremlins yeah. 2. Which is, I'm just going to go for camp because there's really no reason this movie exactly. should exist. So I'm just going to make it a parody exactly. of the first. Yeah. And uh, I, I think on that level, it kind of sort of works. Um, whatever happened to the remake of this that they were going to do with Hugh Good Jackson? Good question. I have no idea. What did go down with that? I, yeah. I don't know. That went nowhere, uh, thank goodness. But anyway, you know, uh, like a night, uh, there's an earthquake, and the earthquake is the justification to do the same crap with LA with Snake Plissken that they did before. I mean, you know, it's it's a dumb movie. It, it really doesn't have any any reason. Yeah, to yeah. Just, uh, John John Carpenter, by the way, is in that Foo Fighters movie that we talked about on. Radio oh yeah, Day. that's that's it. Not know he was a, he, yeah. he's walking around that yeah, movie. He, yeah, John Carpenter. What he he wrote a song of the theme music for the film, and then he uh, he's also the, uh, the the band sound mixer. He he takes off very early on okay, in the film. Flip, there you go. And uh, and then and then you know Foo Fighters start killing and eating each other, but that's fine. Uh, anyway, you know, there's nothing really escaped LA. I mean, escape from LA. There's nothing really on here either. It's, it's just, uh, it's a fun little, uh, I don't know, cameo machine, I suppose. You know, you got all these, yeah. pop, Pam Gurr pops up, Ruth Campbell pops up, uh, Steve Buscemi pops up, you know, it's, 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 Paul Bolt- Bartel pops up. Uh, but you know, it's not actually a movie. It's <laughs> not real. Let's get into some other new movies here, Tim. Um, let, let, we got some. We got a couple of uh, Oscar-y things here right off the top of the bat. Let's talk about okay. Belfast because I say Belfast is going to win Best Picture. I've said it since I saw it at the premiere last year. Everybody told me I'm crazy. A lot of people think this movie is boring as hell. I said, yeah, just watch. It's going to win Best Picture. Uh, they're like, I'm like, what else? Well, you know, uh, you're the dog. Really? Because Sam Elliott just bad-mouthed you're the dog, <laughs> and nobody's calling him a homophobe. 
because he said, uh, you know, ain't no gay cowboys wearing chaps <laughs> taking their shirts off and whatever it was that Sam Elliott said. Look, it's the same thing we just said earlier. Sam damn Elliott married the, 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 the woman of everyone else's dreams. He married Catherine Ross. Just keep in mind, keep in mind, Dustin Hoffman wanted her, didn't get her. Butch and Sundance, Robert frickin' Redford and Paul Newman both wanted her, didn't get her. Sam Elliott got her and held on to her for 50 years. So cut the man some slack for crying out loud. Sam Elliott gets to say whatever he wants about the James. He's Cannon 77, stuff. and that's why he can say whatever he wants. Oh, He's come 80. on, lay Sam off. is funny to me, though. Lay Sam off is from guys. Sacramento. And, like, for the, for the, yeah. and for the uh, you know, first half, you know, three quarters, whatever you want to call it, of his career. He didn't play any cowboys <laughs> at all. He just played dudes and guys and fellas, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and, yeah, and, and, and like life, life cards and, and things like, like that. that. And yeah. then hit about, yeah. hit about 45 or 50. And I, I guess got a cowboy hat <laughs> and yep. he's been playing cowboys ever since it took, but it took me, that since. cracks me up. I'm like, go Sam, go baby. Yeah, and look, Sam can think whatever this, he wants. This, this is what I thing. say about Power of the Dog. I know we're talking about Belfast. Yes. This is what I say about yeah. Power of the Dog. It's Jane Campion's uh, fifth best film. Uh, it's also her yep. fifth film. Uh, take from that what you want. So Belfast is basically, Kenneth Branagh made this between the two Agatha Christie movies. And it's very personal. It's a black and white film about his childhood in, in Belfast in, you know, a very, very tense time with the Protestant Catholic uh, violence and all of that. Little boy, family. Jamie Dornan plays his dad beautifully, by the way. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Karen Hines plays his, his grandfather, Judy Dench's grandmother. And then, you know, a, a, a absolutely fantastic, incredible performance by uh, Katrina Balfe from Ford versus Ferrari playing his yeah. mom. It's a beautiful movie. I like this movie. Is it perfect? No. But it's basically Ken- Kenneth Branagh's 400 Blows. But here's the thing. Um, I predicted that this would win because it hits all the categories. It's nominated for, you know, picture, director, screenplay, has acting nominations. It's it's kind of, it has a very broad-based support. But here's what I just found out today. Focus, fe- Focus uh, uh, Features is celebrating their 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Focus Features is one of only 11 companies in history to get double-digit Best Picture nominees. Mm-hmm. Belfast is their 10th film to be nominated for best picture they are the only one of those 11 companies never to have won best picture so focus features is due and for that reason i think belfast well i I think i I think your math is very strong because it is nominated for one thing or another not like sear and hines uh which means that a whole bunch of people in a whole bunch of categories and obviously the director's category category, um uh, you know uh, for for that one, um, you know, I, I yeah, look, um, um, it, is it my best picture? Um, no, but didn't get my best pick. Not mine either. You know, not mine either. Look, my best picture of the year. If if my best picture of the year, we mean the film that I have already watched more than once this year, and already know yep. that I will be watching uh, from this year again and again and again. Uh, it's Summer of Soul of the documentary. I've watched that yeah. three times already. Yeah. Which is go- which is going to win, Doc, win by Doc. the way. That's, yeah. There's no – yeah, Questlove's going to go win that hands down. That's not you even know, a question. It would, if so, but, you know, literally that 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 to me is the film that I – it's the one film that I – as opposed to, for instance, you got House of Gucci there, I think, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about that right, right next. Because House of Gucci, right? Here's this film, and it, it's Ridley's second this year. There was also Last Duel. That was this year, right? 
Uh, yep. Oh, and let me let me say before we let Belfast okay. go, no, really no, go quickly, ahead. it's got it's got an alternate ending on it that Kenneth Branagh talks oh. about, which it, it which is interesting. It, it I don't know how I feel about the alternate ending, but it is really interesting. It's really really worth checking out, and you got to listen to his commentary. It's a beautiful commentary. It's beautiful. It's so filmmaker centric. It'll just really really inspire you. Um, and then deleted scenes and a couple of a couple of featurettes. But Belfast on Blu-ray is is absolutely wonderful, and it comes with movies anywhere. And I love that because there's a scene at the end of this movie that makes me cry, yeah. and it means that I can I can now have it on my phone. And if I want to watch Katrina Balfe do that thing that she does at the end of this movie that makes me cry, I can watch it anytime, anywhere, and I'm very happy about that. Now let's talk about House of Gucci. Um, my goodness, this movie, the Damn. House of Gucci. You- <laughs> Look, because I had to talk about this one on the radio, and uh, and to me, just first watching, I just found it hysterical. I found it, 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 but it was funny in all kinds of places and for all kinds of reasons. It's not supposed to be funny, uh, and, uh, and and you know, including all the stuff we talk about, Jared Leto, in all kinds of. Oh but then gosh. there was this moment when everybody was just you know talking about it like it was going to be this best picture. Uh, you know, potential, and I just kept thinking to myself, yeah. "Do people sound insane to me that we see the same movie?" You know, <laughs> and and then there was a little moment where uh, a Lady Gaga was, you know, and she got nominated for something here or there, and then uh, the Razzies came, and when, yeah. once the Razzies came, I think it was that was the, the end of it for House of Gucci. So, so here's the thing: I don't think it's a bad film. I don't think it's a good film. I think Ridley Scott does the best that he can with this material, not fully understanding what it is that he's directing. It's visually sharp and it's slick and it's, you know, got some good performances, even though everybody is sporting those hokey fake Italian accents and speaking English. That's what everybody kind of ripped on. And uh, the funny thing is, when you look at video of Mm. uh, Patrizia uh, Reggiani speaking, you go, holy crap, she really is that weird. Yeah. They're like, like Gaga is not, Gaga is not doing camp. She's doing Patricia. Yeah, she kind of nails it. Yeah. And she kind of nails it in an amazing way. But, but you don't know that unless yeah. you actually go and look at it. It's very easy to rip her for being campy. But here's the thing. Jared Leto. This is my one, this has been my one liner all season on this movie. Whatever movie Jared Leto thinks he's acting in, I love that movie. <laughs> I love that movie. The actual movie that he's in, not so much. But whatever movie he's acting in, I want to watch that movie over and over. He has lines. What it, look, the, the accent that Jared Leto is doing, everyone else is doing like a really bad kind of phony Italian mm. accent. Whatever Jared Leto is doing, there is no Italian who has ever lived who does that mm. accent. It, I don't know where it comes from. Like where he, when he says, I am a bursting with creativity. <laughs> I don't that that that's not an Italian accent. I don't know what it is, but I'm I'm barsting with creativity. That's brilliant. Barsting? Come on. Give it up for Jared. That's amazing. Yeah, I just I don't know whatever. I just felt like it was more of a yeah. And and you know what's funny? Uh, Pacino, the one guy yeah. who probably has the right to do an Italian accent in this movie. Yeah. It's the one guy who's like, "You know what? I'm not doing that." <laughs> he's like i'm just you guys go ahead and do whatever you're doing i'm gonna i'm just gonna go ahead and, and talk like al pacino <laughs> because that's oh, the value that you're gonna get out of it so but it, but it, but it yes. is interesting that that you know there that movie was and how it just sort of all fell apart uh here during the award season uh what they put on that thing anyway 
But yeah, very little. Just uh, just some featurettes, actually. I mean, there's nothing, nothing else of note. Uh, it it comes with a uh, with with a, a code, you know, it, for it's it's MGM, so you can you can put it on Voodoo or whatever, but uh, or Apple TV. But uh, I don't know who's going to necessarily do that. Yeah, I it's just it's just featurettes. No no commentary. Nothing. Ridley clearly did not want to <laughs> this one be remembered. Very interesting. Um, so let's also talk about coming to, as in numeral two, America. Coming to America. Eddie, Eddie Murphy revisiting uh, the character that he made famous in the original Coming to that, America that's too, that's uh, decades big, ago. Big, uh, that's too big. Uh, back to back. You know, I, don't, I don't know that Eddie needed a comeback, but you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, Dolomite yeah. Yeah. And, and this back to back. Two big hits. Two big hits. And... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna come right out and say it. Both of those films directed by mm-hmm. Craig Brewer, mm-hmm. by the way, very smart. He he realized he's got something going with Craig. Craig knows him. He knows Craig. They they they're copacetic. So uh, both of these directed by Craig Brewer. I'm gonna say it right up. I like this better than the original. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a funny. It's it, it, it's funny as hell. There is there is a there is a wonder. It's nostalgic. It's great. It's he he's gone. And Eddie Eddie does two things here that I think are really super smart. Um, number one. He he leans into the nostalgia. They're not they're not sort of throwing the original film under the bus. There's a scene here where a whole bunch of performers show up, and I'm not going to tell you who they are. But if you are a child of the '80s, as we are, I just sat there and I was just enjoying the cameos. I'm like, this is fantastic. I could just do a whole movie of just these these cameo performers showing up. And Eddie is dancing and he's loving. It. It's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's smart is he hires a whole bunch of his buddies really really great supporting parts because eddie does not feel like he needs to prove Mm -hmm. anything anymore he doesn't need to carry this movie he can bring on a whole bunch of other people and let them carry the movie for him he can he can you know uh bring on tracy morgan let tracy morgan have some fun uh you know he just he really feels like i can i can spread the love a little bit leslie jones gets some really really great scenes so that I thought was was fun. Uh, Wesley Snipes is hysterical in this thing. So that I thought was really sharp. Was that Eddie was like, you know what? I've done this character. I've carried the movie before. I'm going to let everybody else have some fun with this for a change. Very, very gracious and generous. I think this is a really fun you, film. You, you know what I like most about this movie? Uh, what do you Nobody like? from the first movie is dead. Because they're all, because they're right. all in this movie. John Amos, just all the, they're all still alive, walking around, just being funny. And John Amos, that's a really looks great point. exactly the same. That's a little creepy. And I'm like, what oh, the hell, John Amos? He still looks like he could knock me out. That's for sure. He's, he's got to be almost and, ninety. Know, and what I also love about this too is that that even Louis Anderson shows up again. And I thought that was sharp because the for those who don't know, the only reason Louis Anderson was in the first film was because Paramount said to Eddie, believe it or not, uh, gotta have at least one white person. <laughs> like, like, like you, yeah. you, you wrote, there, there, oh, there's no white people in this movie. You gotta have at least, we gotta have one. Uh, and, and now I don't know how Louis Anderson wound up representing <laughs> all white people in this movie, but it's hilarious. So I think the fact that he came back in this is yeah, just Of course, Louis's gone now. Louis, yes. Gone. Uh, yes, uh, he is, but, but not, not, but not. Uh, yeah. So, but anyway, no, fantastic. No. Yep, absolutely fun. Uh, not much, by the way, of special features. is commentary by Brewer and then a couple of featurettes, but or one featurette and some trailers. But uh, I, really, coming to America is a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm, I didn't think I would actually appreciate it as a sequel, and I did because they played it mm. totally right, played it totally straight. Uh, do you, do, do you have, uh, a, do you have a else? journal for Jordan over there? Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gerald for George. Which is interesting because, again, this was a film, uh, you know, Denzel Washington directing. Uh, maybe what, his yeah. third film? Something like that? Maybe. maybe yeah. I, third, I think he did an, maybe Antoine fourth? Fisher. I think he maybe yeah. did that football movie. Uh, and anyways, not many. And, and Fences. Oh, and Fences. Antoine Fisher, Fences. I thought Fences was, uh, maybe I thought is- Fences was, uh, Wolf, who, uh, directed all those August Wilsons and, and, and Ma Rain. No, 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 no. Denzel, Denzel, Denzel directed. So, Denzel okay. directed. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. direct all that often. He might have four or so in often. this one here, which of course is, is, is an adaptation, adaptation of, of, of a book, uh, and based on a true story. And, you know, Michael B. Jordan. It's really a lovely, lovely movie. Shantae Adams. Um, um, uh, you know, about this young soldier, uh, who goes off to the war and he, but he, le- he leaves ultimately because he doesn't make it, uh, a journal, uh, for Jordan. Uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Didn't quite have the, 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 um, uh, awards run that I thought it might, frankly, just yeah. based on the fact that Denzel, um, uh, directed it. But nevertheless, make no mistake, it's a lovely, lovely, heartfelt film. That kind of that kind of it's a, a it, it's it is a very very sweet film and uh, look anything with Michael B Jordan in it is just is going to fly. He's one of the best young actors we've got and he's got a ton of range, uh, a ton of range. And so, yeah, I get behind it as well. Um, uh, speaking of, let me let me let's let's do something here. Uh, Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish in here mm, today. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, uh, directed by Billy Crystal. Uh, what you think? Well, you know, look. Um, I, I get that a lot of people didn't didn't. It's about this. It's, it's about Billy Crystal. He's this writer, and he meets this woman, Tiffany Haddish, through some sort of wacky thing where she ends up winning a uh, a lunch with him. Uh, one of those kind of things. And, and the show that he's a writer on is a Saturday Night Live ish type show. And he's it's one of those yeah. things where he's like the oldest guy in the room. You know, like Saturday Night Live's been running what forty forty five years something like that. Oh, dude, since uh, 50, Over 50, 50 so it's one of those. And he's like the, the, yeah. the, the old guy, you know, from, from, from 50 yeah. years ago who was young and funny back. In, but now he might, might be, a, might be about 50. Is it? I want to say, I want to say, I want to say 75. 75. 75. So yeah, so it's almost 50, almost 50. It's, it's close. It's, it's, it's yeah. So like a Lauren Michael type guy. Only he, yeah. instead of being the yeah. boss of the show, he, he's this head writer guy who's been around for a while. And, and, you know, and he's, none of his bits are getting on on air anymore and and uh and, and and it's just this whole thing that he's going through and tiffany wins this lunch with him and she's just a gal who wins a lunch and she didn't even win the lunch her boyfriend won the lunch but she dumped him uh, and the only thing she had left was the lunch with billy and it's about this relationship they, that they established and you know a sort of poignant sort of thing starts to go on but look i gotta tell you i enjoyed all of this uh it was it was insanely obvious first frame to last uh, uh, and, and, uh, and, and it, and it pokes at your heartstrings and all the way that a movie about this stuff will poke at your heartstrings. But you know what I liked? Tiffany and Billy were f- just fucking hysterical. It's like, you can tell that every now and again, they would just go off on one of those, you know, Billy would do three minutes and then Tiffany would do three minutes and then Billy would for yeah. three minutes. And, and it's like, we're at the comedy store. We're not even in a movie anymore. <laughs> you know? But they're just tossing it back and forth. And I'm like, I forgot what this movie is about, but. You two are cracking me the hell up. So that's where I landed with this movie. Well, it's not on Blu-ray. It is only on uh, DVD, but uh, it's it's uh, it's a sweet mm. film. And I think got a little bit unfairly pilloried, um, but only on DVD, mm. not Blu-ray. Also only on DVD uh, and not on Blu-ray is Sweet Thing by Alexander Rockwell. Now, Alexander Rockwell, this is from Film Movement. Alexander Rockwell, uh, uh, mo- probably less famous as a filmmaker, more famous for marrying Jennifer Beals. <laughs> At the time of uh, Flashdance, uh, but a, a solid independent filmmaker under a, uh, in his own right. Um, 
And this was made last year. Didn't get enough traction, mm-hmm. I don't think. Uh, it, got, it got a little bit, you know, it was at Tribeca. It was at Berlin. It, it, but in film movement, gave it a good shot, you know, theatrically. But it, it should have gotten a little better exposure, I think. Uh, people just didn't, didn't bite on it. It's a wonderful little coming-of-age film. Kind of sits nicely right between Licorice Pizza and, and Belfast, I think. We're talking about all these kind of coming-of-age films. But I thought this is really nice. It's, uh, it's about, you know, these, these siblings in, uh, in New Bedford. And kind of a, a wonderful little coming of age summer adventure. Maybe a little bit of stand by me in this as well. Um, I, I thought it was really, really sweet, very insightful, uh, very honest, and, and just beautifully yeah, made. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got I got no no gripes about it. I think it's really tight too. It comes in a nice ninety minutes, really, really sharp. Great acting. Yeah, well, two of the leads and last name Rockwell, um, 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 which is fine. But yes, what I really loved yes. in this, in Karen Parsons, who we will know from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, um, uh, played his yep. sister way back in the day. She's in this room. She's wonderful. And of course, Will Patton is really, really good in this film too. Yeah. Oh, Will Patton can do no wrong for me. Will, you know why Will Patton can do no wrong by me? Because Will Patton recited one of my all-time favorite lines in any movie ever. And you and I may be the only people who like that movie. You know what I'm <laughs> talking about. Genre? It's the it, Kevin Costner's. The oh poster. yes. <laughs> Will Patton, Will, and I know that people hate no. that movie and they rip on it. No, and I don't we, care. Will Patton, Will Patton has this great line in there where he, you know, he leads the kind of the, the Mad Maxi group of yeah, right. He's the leader of the 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 the, the gang, the the guys that are you know have now become the mercenaries around this post apocalyptic wasteland. And there's a line with Will Patton. He kind of gets this wry smile, like he's thinking back on the good times, and he says. I used to be a cut. <laughs> I love that line. Uh, it's, it's, beautiful. Love that line. it's just beautiful. You know, it's, 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 it, it and, uh, spoke to the thing that that movie was about that people just didn't seem to exactly. get. <laughs> I'm like, why are you people not uh, getting what's going on in this movie? It's a great movie. I, I, I wish that would wind up on, on 4K. There's a movie I could do with on 4K. Anyway, the, uh, the sweet thing, the Rockwell film also features a really cool little, uh, short film, The Binding of Itzik, which, uh, is this wonderful, wonderful story about, uh, it set, set in a life, uh, in, in the world of, of Hasidic Jews, and it's about a bookbinder. And, uh, it's really, it's really a good short film, much better than I expected it to be. The, uh, you know, some, some of these short films can be mm. real ringers. Um, Tim, did you see Limbo? By Limbo, chance? did I the, see the Limbo? The British film, British film Limbo, not the not the John Sales Limbo. Oh, the, 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 the one that the, came the, out the, last the ben, year. What's his name? Ben Ben Sherrock film, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did see that film. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that was a little film uh, about the Syrian kid and his family, and he gets stuck. He gets stuck. Yeah, he gets yeah. Stuck someplace in Scotland or something like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a really, really kind of an unusual fish out of water movie here. It's. Uh, it's about this this Scottish island where a bunch of refugees, Middle Eastern refugees, are being are being plopped. And this this one guy, he's you know he's a Syrian, he's a musician, and, and he from Syria, and he suddenly finds himself in remote Scotland, and it's just the most culturally alien landscape ever. Um, but it doesn't do what fish out of water films typically do. You know, it's got a very interesting the the musical thread is very very symbolic, and I, I thought this this was a really really interesting film. I love the actor Amir El Masri who mm. plays uh, the lead. Um, I think he's just absolutely terrific, and the instrument he plays is the mm. oud, mm. the o- oud, the oud, which is kind of a kind of like a balalaika guitar thing, but it's you know it's 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 more Arabic. Uh, but I thought this was a sharp little movie, and I, I thought it played all of the the cultural dissonance elements mm. just right. I really did. I th- you, you know, you know what I like, I like yeah, about both this movie and and Sweet Thing 
they're both uh, written and directed by uh, a Sweet Thing and and Alexander in this by Ben. Uh, so really, they are the full and complete thought and creation of these of these filmmakers. You don't, you don't get a lot of this anymore because a lot of you know based on this and based on that, or fifteen writers and, and co writers and all this kind of stuff. But but these stories are these really clean stories written by and then uh, directed by one person. And that singular yeah. voice it. works its way through both of those films. And it's a thing that you can just tell. It's a thing that you can see uh, when, when, that's, when that single voice is coming at you like that. And that's one of the reasons why I like both of those movies. So we also have a movie here called Silent Night. Uh, this is a little indie that came out uh, just around Christmas time, as you might have, might expect. Has a really great cast. It didn't get like tremendous exposure. I was a little surprised. Uh, Johnny Depp's daughter is in this. Um, so is Matthew Good, who I think is terrific. Kieran Knightley, you know, a really uh, interesting drama y holiday thriller. And the premise here is that at this at this wonderful little house in the English countryside, um, this couple has a Christmas dinner. They bring some friends over for a Christmas dinner. And you think, it, you know, it's going to be a nice little holiday movie or whatever. Um, and then it kind of goes south. <laughs> and it goes in a very unholiday direction, which I thought was um, a little predictable, but also kind of brave. It's... Um, it's funny. It's kind of darkly comedic, and it's it's not cynical at the same time. So it it kind of you know takes one of those dark pokes at Christmas that you get from Christmas horror films and things like Bad Santa, <laughs> but not so much that it loses the Christmas spirit completely. I thought it was really really kind of sharp, and uh, it doesn't really have anything by way of extras on it, alternate ending and ex- deleted scenes, but. I thought uh, very nicely acted. I thought uh, I, I like what Kira Knightley's doing at this stage in her career, and I love Matthew Good. I think he's terrific and supporting cast. I, 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 I so like I like I, where I it landed. And again, uh, Camille Griffin, one director, yeah. one writer. She wrote it. She directed it, and you can see it all the way through. It's I'm, I'm just I'm really loving that. I I agree. Totally agree. Uh, Twist. Did you see this with Michael Caine and Lena? Oh, I don't think I saw Twist. No. So another one, you know, these are movies that just literally kind of came and went. And you'd think Michael Caine, Lena Headey, I mean, you know, Michael Caine is still Michael Caine for crying out loud. And Lena Lena Headey, you know, has had his great career. And then Game of Thrones kind of blew her up all over again. And, you know, what's 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 going on here? Why did this not get better attention? Basically, this is a present day um, reinterpretation of Oliver Ah. Twist. And it it takes Oliver Twist to turn it into a present day crime thriller, which I think is really, really smart. Because it lends itself. If you think about, you know, some of the best Dickens, like Oliver Twist, it's very easy to take all of those characters and all of those dynamics and drop that into the mm-hmm. present day. It might even make more sense now than it did in Victorian England. Uh, so I, I think, I think they did a really, really great job. Michael Caine can do absolutely no wrong. Um, you know, he's just, I mean, he basically plays Fagin here and he is just so stinking good. Uh, I, I really thought this was great. You know, uh, Rath Law, who plays the, uh, the, 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 who plays Twist, uh, you know, the, the Oliver Twist character is really, really good. And, um, you know, Lena Headey plays this, uh, this, this, this remarkable, I, I, I won't say anything else, but she's, she's terrifying. She's really terrifying in her, as she used to be a romantic lead and now she's, uh, now she's really, really Love nailed it. it. She's just gotten, she's great. So anyway, that's that's worth checking out. 
Uh, let's look at some other new films here. Um, I saw, I, I saw, I saw Silo. Um, oh yeah, uh, the, the, about the kid that gets tra- trapped in the uh, the, uh, the the grain elevator. Marshall Burnett, Marshall Burnett film, from yeah, Oscilloscope. and 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 yeah. that was absolutely, uh, it was, you know, it was creepy uh, uh, and uh, scary, uh, frightening, uh, and and very very well done uh, for a film that pretty much takes place mostly. Uh, in or outside of that fifty foot grain silo, with that with that kid yeah. stuck in it, and I'm like, this is what this is very clever, and it's a drama, and a thriller, and just some stuff going on. Uh, but this is very very uh, clever, uh, and uh, and just because because that it's like quicksand, it's like being trapped in quicksand. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, Terif- terrifying, terrifying yeah. premise. Um, yeah, uh, Oscilloscope, another another little company that's really uh, you know I, I hope these companies all make a really strong comeback. But yeah, one writer, one director. Yep. Um, good, good vision there. Uh, this comes with a few special features: documentary, a short documentary about the making of the film, and then a couple of panel discussions and uh, featurette and uh, trailer. Uh, we've also got. Let me get a couple here. Uh, Superhost. Oh yeah. I want to talk about Superhost? Another Shutter original. We could have put this in with television, but you know, Shutter is always a. It's a, it's a, you know, we talk about a lot of Shutter stuff on on Film Week, so sometimes I feel like, well, we might as well include it in the in the new. Films. We have to, we have to, we have like to spend talking. some time, maybe maybe in an, in an opening bit, just talking about the whole range of mid of mid tier uh, distribution companies, production slash distribution companies, and 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 uh, yeah. and your what they do and how they do what they do and uh, and all of that stuff, because you know uh, there was a moment when when all of those companies went away, as you talk about all the time, all those companies went away in the middle of the two thousands. Uh, 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 you know, yeah, you, know, you know, a picture show and all these kind of uh, companies just went away, and they all seem to come to have. They didn't come back, but uh, a, a replacement for them to to have stepped into that space seems to be companies like these last two or three that we've talked about um, uh, that are just sort of in there. A lot of them are doing the little horror horror kind of stuff, but some of them are doing stuff like this. Um, um, uh, Superhost. Yeah, well, Superhost. Superhost is is. Um it's a, it's it's actually really really funny, um, from the director of Z and still Brandon born. Christensen, like writer director, it, all by himself uh, again. True, but like like that means anything. Means most people nothing. Z and Stillborn like <laughs> means nothing. Uh, but yeah, Brandon Christensen, writer director. Um, so so here's what this is about. This is really take. It, this is mostly taking a poke at like social media and and social media narcissism and and like YouTube things like that. So you have a couple of uh, you have this couple who are they're they're vloggers. And uh, they uh, they they have this channel that is that used to be really 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 successful, but the subscribership to the channel has kind of you know it's it's diminished over time, and they're trying to figure out how can we really you know kick our kick our our likes and our user base back up again and our subscriber base, and um, so that's when they choose. As their um, their new host, their most recent trip. It's a it's a it's a yeah. travel thing, right? It, they're 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 they they do vacation homes, and you know it's like so they. That's what it's all about. It's visiting vacation homes. So their their latest host, their latest vacation home host, um, is this girl named Rebecca, which I think is really clever nod to the Hitchcock <laughs> yeah. film because she is nuts. She is out of her mind. And that's where everything goes completely wacko. Um, 
the uh, I thought it was fun and campy and uh, and and it's sort of off the edge in all of the right ways. It, it realizes this is completely um, unhinged. It has kind of a, a scream quality mm-hmm. to it. So if you like the scream films, this feels like it's of the same general thing. And I love movies that have the the guts to give us female psychos. Uh, they're like they're like on, they're like only four people in that whole freaking movie. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, it's great, right? Well, most of the Shutter yeah, films you know, are like they, that. They, they're increasingly you know, it's like a, that. It's, yeah. a, it's, an, it's an interesting thing, interesting field. I get, get it. Shutter Shutter's parameters, it's they seem to be, and I'd love to know specifically what they are. But when you watch most of those films, they do seem to be. Can you pare it down to as few locations and as few people as possible? Can you give us a ton of scares in only a few places with minimal people? That's what what seems to really. Yeah, I would not be surprised if that's not literally a part of their doctrine. Uh, And and we're we're only paying Uh, a a writer director, and they need to be the same guy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. uh, We're only paying them once. Yeah. Uh, fortress. No, not the old Christopher uh, Lambert Fortress. No, no. This Fortress is with uh, Bruce oh, that Willis one. and yeah. Jesse Metcalf. Yeah. Uh, this prison has no bars. I don't even know what that tagline means. This prison has no bars. <gasps> like, what, what does that even mean? <sighs> uh, I, I don't I don't I don't understand. Isn't that like, you know, Escape yeah. from New York? It, that didn't have any yeah, bars yeah. either. What? I, I can tell you what this well, movie looked like it was set in a high school basement. <laughs> it looks like it was one. set in a high school basement where they just painted all the walls gray and then put up some LEDs and <laughs> lights. Well, anyway, uh, so Bruce Willis shows up once again. This is one of those grindstone movies for Lionsgate. So if it isn't, if it's not about a talking animal, it's an action film with Bruce Willis because they got Bruce Willis on speed dial mm-hmm. or something. It's ridiculous. He shows up in in like more than half their movies. Anyway, uh, so he's a, he, he's, he is, I mean, I'm just going to read the, the actual description. Tell me, like, sometimes the copy just blows <laughs> my mind. This is literally what it is, but this blows my mind. So Bruce Willis plays, quote, a retired CIA agent living at a secret resort in the woods. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Oh, God. Does no, that make any it's, sense? It's, a secret resort in the insane. woods? What? <laughs> anyway. No, um, he. This is mostly a father-son yeah. thing. Uh, he, he's uh, uh, so his his son comes and visits him. His son, played by Jesse Metcalf, and uh, little does he know that his arch nemesis, um, played by uh, Chad Michael Murray, is following the son to try to find him at his secluded secret resort in the woods. Uh, it's absolutely ri- hey, ridiculous. Hey, uh, anyway, uh, Shannon Doherty uh, shows up in this thing, uh, and you know, good yeah. for her, Shannon. Uh, so, but you know, what are you gonna do? One of those movies, man. Yeah. Anyway, I just don't understand. It is what it is. Uh, the Bruce Willis, his you know, his management, his agents. I guess he has. I just don't understand what they're, what they're, they're. Look, I get money is money is money is money, and, and Bruce makes a pretty penny every time he does one of these wacky things. But Bruce Willis is a perfectly good-looking guy. He's a perfectly, he's yeah. a fine actor, as we all know. And I just don't understand why you would never make a you know real movie. Literally, never, not I, I ever. You're just not going to. I mean, I can't think of the last quote unquote real movie. I think he walked around one of those exterminate, one of Arnold's, um, what, what did Arnold call those movies? The exterminators, the terminators. What did those, those Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah. He walked around yeah. one or two of those, right? Yeah. Um, and, but I just, you know, I just don't understand why he's just not making every now and again, I don't know, make a real movie. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
All right, as long as we're on the subject of Grindstone, got another Grindstone film here. It's called Zeros and Ones, and this is unusually a, a much better Grindstone, really. Uh, every once in a while, something really sharp happens, and uh, you get a pairing between Ethan Hawke and Abel Ferrara. Mm. And wow, you know, Abel Ferrara is still kicking him out, not getting quite the, the love that he used to get. But uh, I, I think this is not bad, actually. It's Zeros and Ones is the movie. And uh, this is a political thriller that takes place entirely in a 24-hour period, less than a 24-hour period, in Rome. And uh, I, it's, it's, it's tense, but it's, it's mature, and I think it's really, really sharp. Um, Ethan Hawke plays a, uh, you know, a, um, a soldier who has to try to t stop a terrorist bombing. And, uh, then, you know, there's all this stuff about how his brother is in prison and there's all these other little geopolitical machinations going on. And, uh, I, 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 you know, it ultimately gets a little bit silly. There's like a Vatican hook mm. in this thing that sort of doesn't quite hang together. But otherwise I thought, you know what? Abel Ferrara can still do that. He's been making more and more obscure arty films. Uh, very personal films in the last few years, but when he needs to become that guy who who cut his teeth on Miami mm -hmm. Vice, he can be that yep. guy again. He's still got Keep those shots. And, and, and that's so, all able, written and directed by uh, uh, Ethan. Is starting to look uh, well, his age, I guess, is, which is you know, no, 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 no point at him. He's it's good, but it's, it's good actually. It's a good thing. Uh, I, I I like looking at craggly uh, Ethan Hawke face. You know. I want them to get the whole Explorers team oh, together man. again as adults. As you, adults, you know, That's I just I did. Want. I did. I was. I was a, a guest in that in that documentary, that David Weiner documentary uh, about yep. Search for Tomorrow films from the eighties, and that movie comes up like a dozen times in that movie in the in, in the documentary of uh, Explorers. That's funny. Yeah, um, you know, we have another film here that I was going to discuss. But uh, we were asked by the distributor to not discuss it because of the Russian angle uh, to it. So I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, because it is a Russian film and they have. Uh, so in the in the interest of, of kind of supporting them, if, if anybody is listening, we uh, we will not be talking about uh, the pilot mm. on this show. Uh, and we will hold that until we we honor their uh, their request to to review it. Uh, but Nina Bergman in Hell Half No Fury. I will say, if you're looking for a war film, this one more than scratches the itch. I, uh, it's a, it's a little bit cheesy. This is also from Wellgo. It's a little bit cheesy, but I actually kind of really, really enjoy it. Um, this is a, this is, I mean, it's, it's. I shouldn't say it's cheesy. It's a little bit. Um, it stretches mm -hmm. credibility because you know there just weren't any fe like female kick-ass soldiers in World War II. It just didn't happen. But uh, you kind of buy into it here. You buy into the idea of this female, you know, uh, action hero in this thing. She's taken on, you know, uh, everybody and doing a hell of a job of it. Um, so, you know, and there's there's a there's a Nazi gold story to it, which is a little bit silly. But uh, by and large, I thought that this thing was really good. Jesse Johnson yeah. directed this. Never heard never heard of Jesse yeah. Johnson. Um, uh, you know, uh, written by Romaine, uh, Sarek, I guess. Uh, anyway, people I've yeah. never heard of, but, um, really, really sharp. So, you know, Jesse Johnson did uh, triple threat, if that means anything yeah. to anybody, but, uh, otherwise it's kind of a little bit, you know, I spit on your grave put into the, into a world war two context. Hell, I have no fury. Kind of got, kind of had some fun with that one. <laughs> should we, uh, should we move to, uh, let, let's do cop shop and then go into some time. Alrighty, brother. If we can. Yeah. 
because uh, we got a bunch of TV, and then there are some other uh, classic movie things that I wanted to hopefully get to before the other uh, thing. And I'm also, by the way, as long as we're at the hour mark, I'm going to be doing some anime for the last uh, last half hour of the show today. I haven't done any anime in a long time, so I'll let Tim go, and then I will clock the show out with uh, with a bunch of new anime and maybe some some Asian films. We got a we got a bunch of really cool uh, um, Asian indies that uh, that are worth talking about too. So Frank yeah. Rio. Um, there's a guy that I've really grown to love. He's really kind of be, he's grown into his own as a, as an action star, kind of a second tier action star lately, but he's, he's paired up with Gerard Butler in this, who, who has more ways of growing unattractive, weird <laughs> facial hair than any actor I have ever known in my life. Like it's, this is just a terrible beard that he's sporting, but whatever it, it works for the character, I guess. Um, but how do we feel about this, this sudden late career resurgence by well i love all of that and it's and it's not even like a resurgence because he saw that first of all frank started late as frank was running around what is that mma or you you, you, whatever that that that's something one one of those fighting those fighting things and and sort of like you know worked his way into playing mostly bad guys uh in those in those movies uh and then he did that one i think it's called the gray with lean uh uh nisa And Frank was really good yeah. in that movie. He had some dramatic shit to do in that movie. And he wasn't just the bad guy. He was actually the bad guy in that movie too, but, 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 but he was dramatic and he was really, really good. And since then, you know, Hollywood has been tr- treating Frank like a real actor, not just like some, some MMA yeah. guy or whatever he was who came, who came over. And of course, this is Joe Carnahan. Uh, you know, and Joe's no slouch. He knows what he's doing. Um, uh, so, you yeah. know, I, so this, this worked for me, man. I dug this movie. I, I think Cop Shop is really cool. It's very surprising. I like the twists and turns it does. Carnahan is a guy who's always taken risks. He's taken narrative risks. He takes stylistic risks. And I like that. I like that a lot. And it's got a Movies Anywhere code on it. Uh, and what I like about this is it's, it starts like a kind of a cat and mouse thing, right? Griot plays a con man. Uh, Gerard Butler plays this this hitman who's out to get him. And you think it's just going to be like a like a cat and mouse thing. But then it becomes like a... A cat and cat and mouse, <laughs> or a cat and mouse and mouse, right? There's a there's a third element that kind of kind of comes in sideways, and um, uh, I thought it I thought it did a, I thought it did a lot of really really interesting things, a lot of really surprising stuff. In some respects, speaking of our friend Sherm, this reminded me a little bit of the Mexican. oh yes, uh, Gore's Gore's right? film with Brad and, uh, and yeah. Brad and Julia Roberts and James Gelbofino and all that. Yes, it did. It, I, it, I never made that connection, but you're absolutely right. It it just it kind of scratched my uh, scratched my Mexican itch a little bit, and I was like, oh, that is really interesting. So anyway, there it is, uh, Cop Shop, and uh, the movie's anywhere code is you know right there. You add it to your uh, add it to your your your, your gear. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move to some TV. Uh, do, you got yeah. that Batman the complete. I mean, given that Batman just happened, you have yeah. you got that complete series yeah. there. I gotta tell you, I'm terrible uh, with with respect to this whole Batman situation because right this very second as we sit here. Uh, my my favorite Batman is uh, Adam West and 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 yeah. your nineteen sixty that TV series. That's still my favorite Batman. So, and my second favorite Batman is still that Tim Burton movie. I get it. These are out of the canon of the of the revived Dark Knight. Uh, you know, Batman. Yes. Um. Um. Uh. Although I would I do want to point out that Michael Keaton, though he was funny, he didn't play Batman for camp. He didn't. It's Tim played no, it for no. camp, but Michael didn't. Um, and you know, and I think Michael Keaton did two, two solid movies, but certainly that first one is my favorite Batman. Anyway, that's, that's my Batman spill. Go. So, so, uh, so, so I'm, I'm going to share something here real quickly. Um, so when, when speaking of the Batman, as I'm sure I've mentioned on the, on the thing, I've, you know, I've known Matt Reeves since high school 
And, and, um, uh, I've got to find the text here because when Matt, I mean, it's been years. No, it's yeah. been years since Matt signed on for, for mm-hmm. Batman, right? And, uh, hold on, hold on. And one of the last texts that I sent him at that time, um, let me find out. Hold on. I gotta find, I've gotta <laughs> find it. I've gotta find it. I have got to find that text. <gasps> Where is that darn text? Um, because let's see, like, we, 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 we were it? just Where talking about it? Matt in my class in my in oh, my, in my well, class anyway. the other night too. Well, anyway, I can't I can't I can't find the text right now. I'd have to go back and really dig for it. I should have come up with it. But when he signed on for Batman, which is like four yeah. years ago, because I have to go back four years worth of in the in the text. Um, when he signed up for it, I sent him a text and I said, and all I put in the text was, "So help me, you better give Adam West a cameo." <laughs> and and um. And I'm, he never, he never texted back. Cause why would he, why would he, what are you going, what are you going to say to that? That was a ridiculous idea, but you know, I thought it was funny at the time. Um, anyway, I, I, you know, celebrating Matt, just killing it on, on, uh, that incredible oh, opening boy. weekend yeah. and it's going to go well over a billion and for a three uh, hour, for yeah, a th- not, almost three hour move. That's, that's almost three hours, baby. Could not, could not happen to a nicer guy. Uh, so that said, the Batman, the complete series, is animated, ah. and they're releasing this obviously to capitalize ah, yeah. on it. Um, and you know, it's uh, this is a this is one of the they they do a lot of interesting things with the with the DC animated stuff. This one goes a little more aggressive than the traditional DC animated look. Uh, I don't particularly like Robin in it. I kind of, they, they do like Robin's almost more like Eddie Munster in this thing. You know, <laughs> he's, he's a little bit, he's a little too young and I don't know. He's a little too, the drawing here is all very angular. So I would have preferred it not to have a Robin, but whatever, there it is. Uh, you can't, can't, you know, beggars can't be choosers, but uh, you know, comes up with a lot of, a lot of the great villains, Mr. Freeze and the Riddler and Batgirl and Superman and, you know, they all show up in this thing. And, uh, you know, I don't know that it transcends any of the others, but it certainly, uh, it's, it's got its own, it's got its own qualities. It has a featurette on it. Uh, and, uh, you know, a few other little interesting featurette type tidbits. And that is Batman, the complete series. It's animated. It's on mm. Blu-ray and, uh, also comes with a digital code that you have to redeem pretty quickly. Uh, what is the, I, I, this must be the Jodie Whittaker uh, series, Doctor Doctor Who Flux uh, series, yeah, series, sure series, series 13. 13th series, 13th I, I've series. Not, I've not been able to keep up uh, with, with I've, I've, I've seen the first uh, uh, a couple of rounds of Jodie, but I, I'm not completely caught up with Jodie, including, including. I believe this is a, yeah, this is a, this is a six part standalone serial adventure mm-hmm. with Jodie. And uh, I think it's really, really quite good. I mean, I know a lot of people have been hit and miss with Jody. They, I, I think there's there was a little bit of kind of slightly no at, at, the, at the beginning of it. Uh, certainly, I've, I've I've enjoyed them. If I've had any issues with with the, the Jody Whitaker Doctor Who's, it, it didn't have anything to do with her. Uh, it had to do with stories and 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 and, and characters. Yeah. Well, see, this is what I was going to say. The thing that I like about Jody, Jody is a very particular kind of actress, and I, what I like about the way that she plays Who is that she understands that there is a core to the character that is that is that that person, that alien person who lives in all these bodies and regenerates, and that that she understands that that's the core of the character. So she 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 finds that, yeah. you know, and she's able to maintain a certain continuity with all the previous male actors who have played Who, and you almost forget. The, the gender flip, I really did, do. It, 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 so didn't make I, it, and I can see her doing that. It's really this beautifully complicated thing that she's doing. 
It uh, really is. It's very, very cool. I can see a little. I can see a little. My guy, Tom Baker. I can see a little bit of Pertwee. I can, you know, what I mean, I can see a little bit of Sylvester yeah. uh, in there, and and the way totally, she's gathered totally. that all in together. Because frankly, a lot of the other Doctor Who, who's they didn't bother to do that. They just built it from the ground up. Uh, uh, Peter Capaldi, the Doctor Who before her, he just built that guy from the ground up. Fine, got no problem with that. True, but, but he really did build him from the ground up. Um, um, uh, in in some of the other ones, but Jody, Jody, Jody touches on all the little touch stuff. And that's what's great, because there's a whole thing about Doctor Who's past here. And that's what I love is that she's able to draw on all of that DNA and really, really kind of take these these six parts and kind of build the character in ways that you don't often get to uh, at other points in the series. So I, I think uh, this is very, very cool. The, there, there is one thing, though, that is very chilling mm. here. And that is, and obviously they, they could not necessarily have anticipated that, but the, the Crimean mm. War the old 19th century Crimean mm. war plays a part here. <clears throat> and, you know, when that comes up, you just, you can't help but just go, Oh, son of a bitch, that poor, that poor area. It just, it kind of, you get a little, your blood runs a little cold mm. in that moment. Uh, but really the, uh, you know, finding out what the flux is, it's really cool. Doctor who flux, the complete 13th series is, um, is, is a great six part adventure and uh, very, very, very strong. Excellent. 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 Supergirl season five. Do you uh, Supergirl season five. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Sure do the last yeah. one. The last one. It's all yeah, done. Yeah, which is fine. Uh, uh, and, and frankly, uh, Legends of Tomorrow and Flash could take a cue. Uh, the new Flash just cranked up you know, yesterday, day before, whatever. Oh uh, and, yeah, uh, I'll I'll binge it at the I'll end of the watch, season. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, that's that's what's to do. That's what's to do. That. Yeah, you know, I just I really need for them to just have their kids and and uh, and close the loop. And, yeah, close it. <laughs> yeah, just just close it. Close it. We're yeah, done. this was great. We're yeah. done. And Supergirl has been fine, yeah. I guess. You know, they, they, they hit some speed bumps early on in this show and they've kind of cleared them. But yeah, I, I agree. This is uh this is done. Kara, gotta move yeah, on. Nuts maybe. about nuts about uh, Melissa, right? Melissa Benoist, is that her name? M- Melissa Melissa you know what? Melissa really this this took her from A yeah. to Z and I think Melissa is ready for oh, bigger yeah, and better yeah. things. She- I don't want her to. I don't want her to age into her twilight years playing. Yeah, Supergirl. get stuck in Supergirl. Um, don't do that. She's ready. She's ready yeah. for features. Put this girl in some features and let her really, really show what she can do. Yeah. That's what I feel. Uh, Melissa Benoist, and uh, yeah, I think we're. I think we're done here. You know, I wouldn't be afraid to see maybe some of these characters kind of be spun off, but um, Supergirl done for now. Adventure Time, Distant mm-hmm. Lands, HBO Max original. I never really yeah. got this yeah. thing. I I never really did, but you know, whatever. I. I guess somebody really loves it. Cartoon Network makes a ton off of this thing. Never liked the artwork. Didn't really get the the writing, but uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, Adventure Time, Distant Lands. It's uh, going for going exotic. Takes you to Mars and whatever else. Um, Highway to Heaven, oh. a rebooted Highway to Heaven uh, with Jill Scott and Barry Watson. Uh, this is this is a lifetime thing. Kind of doesn't really compare no. to the original, but it's it's still schmaltzy. It's still very syrupy, and uh, I guess if you're like 75 years old or 80 years old, and you got nothing better to do on a on, a, on an evening, and you can't quite work anything in the house other than the DVD player, and then maybe if your grandchildren gave this to you uh, as a gift, it's I don't want to I don't, I don't want to be too mean about it. I, the, the original Highway, you know, Michael Landon and all. I just you know that, yeah. that was that one, right? Michael Landon and uh, yeah, so, you know, yeah, that, that's not like I watched that every week either, so <laughs> you know. Yeah, all this stuff's getting rebooted. Although I have to say, uh, Quantum oh. Leap rebooting with Ernie well, Hudson 
is that, smart. That's, that's super. First of all, you know, Sherm, they they had him on hold for that, right? The Ernie, really? part, right? Yeah. Plainly, they were waiting to see whether or not Ernie uh, uh, was going to uh, be available. It's interesting to me, though, because we uh, uh, did this amazing audition for that, and they brought him in, and then, and then they had this meeting and all this kind of stuff. And the very first thing that uh, the Belisario's said is, man, you look young. I'm looking at your, 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 you're talking to Sherm. He's like, you're, you, you're, you're, yeah. how old are you? <laughs> and, 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 and that was our first, cause I love Ernie, right? But Ernie, yeah. Ernie Hudson Jr. Ernie has a son named yeah. Ernie Hudson Jr. Ernie Hudson yeah. Jr. is yeah. 60. Does that tell you, does that tell no you how kidding. old Ernie is? No yeah. kidding. Uh, wow. Ernie's solid is a really? rock and holding it together, but Ernie has a sixty-year-old kid. So, so, so you know uh, that's that's an interesting okay. thing. I'm gonna. Wow, my goodness! Hold on a second. That that's that's crazy it's, to it's me. Ridiculous. Uh, and there has a lot of kids. Ernie Hudson Jr. used to run around. You you if you know Ernie Hudson Jr. You've interviewed him at Junkets because he was in all those black movies in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Ernie Hudson. I don't think he acts anymore. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh my gosh. Ernie, Ernie. Yeah. He's, he's going to be 77. Yeah. And, and I'm like, oh, and I'm yeah. like, they wanted to go older. Uh, and, and, and they looked at Sherm's age and, 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 and then they were like, you don't look 77. Ernie Hudson don't look, don't look 77. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh no. but that's what happened there. Well, I, I, I'll, that's interesting. That is really interesting. Um, you know, um, hey, look, Sherm's on Stranger yeah, Things. Yeah, it starts in May. So, look, I'm pumping that. I, I cannot wait for that. Starts in May. Oh, we got we got to have him on the show. Oh, we got yeah, to have we'll him do, on the show. We'll do a whole big thing. It'll be fabulous. Yeah, we got to have him on the show. Um, but I'll tell you something. You know, Ernie Ernie Hudson. For those who don't know, the first time most people saw Ernie Hudson was as this skinny <laughs> guy in the in the Human Tornado, the sequel mm-hmm. to Dolomite. Uh, Rudy Ray Moore made a sequel to Dolomite with a lot more money and much funnier and better fight scenes uh, called The Human Tornado, which is it almost verges on Ben Hill funny, like with some of that fast speeded up fight stuff. But anyway, there's a scene in there. Still a ridiculous movie, but there's a scene where Ernie's, you know, Ernie's his his big scene is when his brother gets killed. And he and he cradles and he's crying. And suddenly you're like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Someone there's like a real actor in this movie. Like Ernie goes deep. He just says, I don't care how silly this movie is. I'm headed for bigger yeah. and better things. And he goes deep and he shows those chops. And sure enough, man, he stands out not, in that movie. Not long. He stands not out. Long. It's a beautiful scene. Penitentiary, uh, a film or two. Yeah. He's in Space Hunter. That yeah, sort of knockoff of. Uh, First film that I ever worked on when I became an usher at the. It the was Space Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Space Hunter. Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone in 3D. Which, of course, yeah. the producer Space Hunter. Ivan Reitman, Ernie, yep, the fourth yeah. or Gusbuster. So you know, and Ivan, Go. that's who we lost. Yeah. Ivan. I don't think we talked about losing Ivan. Maybe we talked last week. We did. We okay. did. We did. We did because we talked. We talked because we talked about the other his about uh, his yeah, kids' movie, the, the Ghostbuster movie. Yeah. So uh, and then stars the Lionsgate production for Stars of American Gods uh, that is now out. And um, it's DVD only, not Blu-ray. Includes, uh, you know, interviews and audio commentaries and a whole lot of stuff on here. Um, uh, you know, I didn't really quite get this, this whole, like, you know, war between the gods, the old gods and the new gods. And 
this kind of you know mythology brought into the into the present day thing. I I don't know. I it, it never really quite worked for me. And I remember when they announced it, I thought that's a really peculiar. It's a great cast, but it's a very very peculiar. Um, concept. I'm not sure that people are really going to latch onto it. And I don't think people really quite did. But mm. nonetheless, I think it wound up being better than it has. That's Neil right Gaiman, right? And, the, the, uh, a graphic novel. That yeah. was the whole Neil Gaiman yep. thing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And then let's let's close out TV here for a second before we kind of wind up on a couple other things. Yellowstone season yeah. four. This this damn show has become a phenomenon and I never imagined that it would. Is it Costner? Is it the writing? Um, uh, you know, what what is it that that really makes this show? What do you uh, well, think? some of it is Kevin Costner. And it really is an interesting sort of, uh, yeah, I, I, again, uh, third act, whatever, second act, third act of, of, of his career. You know, Kevin Costner, movie star, Waterworld, you know, the yeah. postman we talked about. And, uh, and, then, yep. yeah, and then went into this sort of interesting sort of nebulous area for a while. Some interesting movies, Mr. Brooks, Swing Vote. And, you know, in there, you know, movies that at least have cult followings. Uh, but not the Kevin Coster of old. And then he latches on to this thing, uh, which is what? Part, uh, it's part Dynasty Dallas Falcon Crest set in the West. It is, it's, it's all, it, that's what it is. It really kind of elevates all that stuff and puts it into the West. It's a throwback to that. I mean, look, the whole, the whole thing here is, you know, who shot mm. John Dutton, which is just modern JR, day who shot yeah. JR. I mean, it's just it, that it's just going back to that well. Um, what, what's interesting here is that it, it, um, they have some flashbacks here that kind of set up the, the 1883 prequel with Tim McGraw mm-hmm. and Faith Hill, which I have not yet watched, but which I have heard is amazing. I mean, you, you, we're, like, we're the same there. Haven't watched it yet either. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, which I heard is amazing. So I'm very curious. And I've asked people, I'm like, you know, I've watched Yellowstone intermittently. Do I really have to? I mean, is there anything? They're like, no, it's totally okay, standalone. Good. It's completely standalone. You know, 1883 is its own thing. They kind of seed it here in season four of Yellowstone, um, which has gobs of extra content. I mean, featurettes galore. You learn everything there is to know about how they, how they made this this crazy series. Um, so, and you know, yeah. Taylor Sheridan, I mean, this is why he's getting paid outrageous amounts of money because he just keeps striking gold. It's interesting, though, because, you know, back in the day, a guy a guy has a, uh, you know, a, a sort of opening moment like 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 Taylor Sheridan in, in, in films, you know. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, what they would do is, is keep making big ass movies, um, you know, Hell High yeah. Water. And he, he, you know, he made Wind River in, 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 in that. But, but Taylor got himself straight to TV just as quick as he possibly could uh, uh, with a good idea and a good concept and a good series, you know, at, at, you know bringing in. Uh, and uh, and frankly, that's where he's been. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the whole business has changed. Used to be do TV so you can make movies. Now it's make a movie so you can get a TV series. Uh, and man, do you and, make and money you in make TV so much now. Money. It's, just, it's, all, it's all flipped Ooh. just in, within our you know, lifetime in the business. Uh, all right. So I'm going to kick through uh, so, uh, just some classic titles here before we, uh, we wrap out and then I'll, I'll dive into uh, some anime. So uh, Paramount. Paramount has released a whole ton of stuff lately. Classics galore. No reason for us to review most of this stuff outright. Just to kind of put it on your radar, tell you about some of the extras. Um, we got a 30th anniversary, uh, steelbook of Wayne's <laughs> World, which still, which still holds yeah. up. I mean, when, when Garth does, you know, when, when Garth does Foxy Lady to the Jimi Hendrix, it's hysterical. It still kills me. And he does a little thing with his fingers. I laugh. I still laugh. Tia Carrera is great. Christopher Walken's great. It's fantastic. Rob Lowe looks young, still looks young. <laughs> yeah. Kills me how, how, how that, that guy just weird. doesn't age. 
Uh, Penelope Spheris, you know, knocked out of the park. Really a lot of fun. It's a steelbook. If you have anything previous to this, there's not really enough here. It's the same commentary with Penelope Spheris. But uh, if you if you don't have it, you want to pick up that steelbook. Blu-ray of Beavis and Butthead to America. Oh, yeah. Absolutely just wipes me out. This is the 25th anniversary of it. Um, it's not a steelbook, but it is on Blu-ray. Great Mike Judge and Yvette Kaplan commentary. Just totally yeah. classic. Few other things, MTV stuff on this. It is just this movie is so stinking funny. I can't believe they didn't do another one. It has that great psychedelic uh, animated sequence in there that uh, that Rob Zombie did, which I, I still think is really, really kind of crazy. Um, Paramount also is giving us brand new um, uh, Blu-ray versions of Reds and Heaven Can oh, wow. Wait, Warren Beatty's two mm-hmm. classics from the seventies and, and early eighties. Um, both of them are great with the Rams now winning the Super Bowl. Heaven can wait has a whole new cachet, <laughs> yes, right? Doesn't indeed. it? Uh, oh, it's so a whole new thing. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Rams are hot again. Uh, Charles Grodin is terrific in this as oh, well. Man, I mean, really, really. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was co-written with Elaine May who recently won, uh, Lafka's uh, career achievement award. I think last year or year before, um, and you know, Buck Henry who just left us was, was co-director of this thing with Warren Beatty. I mean, Heaven Can Wait is yeah. a classic, classic film. And between these two films, Warren Beatty's still the only guy who has been nominated in four categories for two consecutive films. I did not films. know that. Producer, director, writer, actor. That is fantastic. I did not know that. He got four, four nominations tw- twice in a row. Kind of nailed it. Reds is the 40th anniversary edition. Uh, probably not a movie that you want to be watching yeah, right yeah. now, given the whole Russian yeah. thing. Uh, you might want to let the, let the, the air leave the room a little bit, but, uh, Red, Reds is still an unbelievable movie. It, uh, it won in best director in 1981 and, uh, Chariots of Fire went on to win best picture. It was split in that year, but, uh, what a, what a tremendous movie. Forget about the politics of it. You know, unbelievable supporting yeah. cast, Gene Hackman and, um, and Jack Nicholson and, you know, uh, uh Diane Keaton. It's just, it's, it's a tremendous yeah, beautifully movie. Shot, beautifully um, shot. Too. All, all, all of those really interviews, all those shot. interview sequences. Uh, Vittorio, see, that's what made this cool. Vittorio Storaro shot yeah. the hell out of this movie and won an Oscar for it. But yeah, the, the fact it was the, it's the first and really the only movie that ever successfully did that where it took real interviews yeah. and interwove them and wove them in with a, with a narrative, a dramatic narrative. They would later do that on China yeah. beach in a few episodes, including the finale of China Beach, but other movies have never done that successfully. They tried to kind of do it in in the uh, being the Ricardos, but those are all uh, fake yeah, exactly, interviews. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, not the actual. Right. And then uh, we got a bunch of uh, Paramount titles from the Paramount Presents line, which are worth mentioning. Uh, volume twenty five is Rudolph Valentino and oh, the yeah. Shake, made in nineteen twenty one. Valentino's house doesn't exist anymore. They put a freeway yeah. over it, but uh, you know, one of the great beautiful faces of all time in the movie is one of the all-time great silence. I'm glad that Warner Brother uh, there that Paramount is is paying tribute to their uh, their silence and and really putting some love there. Um, volume 27 is Vanilla Sky, uh, oh, yeah. the American remake with Tom Cruise. I prefer the um, uh, the Spanish original. But this is this is fine if you kind of feel the need to you know watch Cameron Crowe make a fool of himself um, a little bit. Mommy Dearest is Volume Seventeen, Total Camp Classic. Uh, Faye Dunaway, of course, 
doing her level best to make Joan Crawford look like a complete psycho psychotic lunatic mm. um, based on Crawford's daughter's law, book. Yeah. Um, I'll let people make a decision as to whether or not they want to solicit that. Um, and then uh, just two more here. Harold oh. and Maude, volume 29, and Ragtime, volume 28. Just want to talk about for a second. Tim, um, Ragtime and Harold and Maude, how are those uh, aging? In uh, Harold and Maude, uh, quite well, I, I, I think. Uh, it's funny because, you know, I am, in, in, in fact, uh, teaching that class over there. And, and one of the directors uh, that I sort of mentioned off the top of my whatever I was talking about was Hal, Hal Ashby. And every one of those 21, 22, 20 whatever year old students knew who Hal Ashby was. That is a great yeah, it sign. Really is. That is a great sign because I'm usually really worried that you you drop these names, you know, like like uh, I, I've done that in Ray's class on occasion where I'll be like, anybody here, you know, fans of Zhang Yimao? And they just look at me uh, like dead uh, eyes. Oh, yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, if this was like 1990, fine, fair enough. But come on, you know, that's one of the, yeah, stop yeah. it. That's really good. That I'm glad. That means Hal Ashby yeah, resonates. And they certainly knew know Harold and Maude and being there and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so Harold and Maude, I think, doing doing quite well. Um, Ragtime, what do you think? Yeah. You know, another movie from 1981, same year as Reds. I think if it weren't for Reds and Chariots of Fire, this would have done much better. I uh, it, it's you know It went on to be, obviously, a legendary Broadway musical and an incredible musical, but it's still a, a fascinating story. It's a really, really great story. And, um, you know, it's adapted from a, from a, a legendary book as well, um, by E.L. Doctorow. And, uh, Milos Forman, I think, does an amazing job of taking this vast tapestry, this huge, sprawling 19th century kind of America coming of age industrial revolution tapestry and, and really doing something with it. I think there are some amazing oh, yeah. performances oh, in yeah. here. Uh, so I, I, I think, I think, I think it's a better film than anyone gave it credit for. Randy Newman, great oh, yeah. score. Yeah. Um, well, this is a know, film, this uh, film gave us, gave us Howard Rollins, uh, Rollins, Debbie right. Allen's in that right. movie. Uh, James Cagney's James last Cagney's film, last film, young Brad George. Yeah. Elizabeth yeah. McGovern is young in that film. So, you know, yeah, there you I know. Yeah. She'd go on, bring us Downton Abbey. No, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a really, really powerful film and I hope people, uh, rediscover it. The nice thing here is this has some really good extras on it on the, it's got two discs, uh, director's cut work print of the film on disc two, which is so fascinating to look at. If you're, I mean, watch the, the theatrical feature version, you know, for sure. But, um, the, the director's cut work print is really, mm. really interesting. And then on the, uh, on the regular film version on disc one, you uh, get some, you know, deleted and extended scenes. You get a conversation with uh, Larry Karashevsky and screenwriter Michael Weller, all about the film. It's really, really interesting. And then the the classic vintage Milos Forman and uh, Michael Hausman, the producer, their their audio commentary, which was recorded quite yeah. some time back before Milos Forman died. And then a feature app. No, it's it's really great. Ragtime is a is a good one to go out on. Uh, theatrical and uh, director's work print version of it, which is truly fascinating and i keep hoping somebody will do the a feature film of the musical yeah it's so be good. beautiful all right tim i'm gonna let you go and i'm gonna take a take a dive here into the uh, the anime madness but uh we'll be back in in a couple of weeks we we should point out that on uh, the mm -hmm. 20th sunday the 20th which is going to come and go before we mm -hmm. do another show that's when you and i are, are going to be on stage with the rest of the film week crew at, uh, at the Ace Theater downtown. Yeah, absolutely. Back live. Uh, the show's been for 20 years. You know, I realized that I've been doing it for 11 now. What are you, like 15, 17? 
20? Oh, dude, I, 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 I've stopped counting. It's kind of, it's kind of. Yeah, have nuts. you done all twenty? It's sort of nuts, Claudia. Where? It might be, man. I, I don't want. To <laughs> I hope not. I really hope not. Uh, you know what? I've, I've got to stop poking at it. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to oh. pull that scab off. Leave it alone. I, 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 I should have oh, mentioned it. Man. <laughs> For yeah. me either. Yeah. <laughs> My back is hurting just from thinking of it. Uh, but it's going to be fun. It's oh, a fun show. Boy. It's a fun show. It's a it's a really fun show, and uh, you know we welcome anybody to come down and uh, and see us. You can you can get tickets if you go to a- AXS.com, I think it is. I mean, you can go to SCPR.org for tickets, but if you go to uh, AXS.com and just search on Film Week, you'll come up with the Air Talk Film Week twentieth annual Oscar preview, the twentieth annual preview. So I must I must be under twenty years because I think I came on the third year, third or fourth year that they were doing okay. previews. Yeah. So anyway. It's uh, it's been a while for both of us. We're yeah, veterans man, now. Ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, we we you know we'd love to see some people down there if you're local in LA or even if you're just visiting. So that's in uh, that's on Sunday the twentieth at uh, from at one p.m. at the Ace Theater downtown, adjacent to the Ace Hotel. Air Talks Film Week twentieth annual Oscar preview. Ace Hotel, the theater at Ace Hotel, technically. So we'd yeah. love to see you there. All right, Tim, I'll let you go. And uh, here we go with anime. All right, and welcome to our anime portion of this show. We haven't talked about anime in quite some time. So uh, I'm just going to walk everybody through. I've tried to categorize things as as well as possible, and uh, so I can offer some recommendations for people who may have kids, who may like anime themselves, things that are you know age-appropriate, certain genres, and so forth. So first off, uh, I think all of these that I'm going to talk about right now are relatively appropriate for younger kids. I wouldn't say like three, four, five, six-year-olds, but... If you've got kids, particularly daughters, this is mostly female-centric stuff, uh, like 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, this stuff should be totally appropriate. Um, the first one is Girls in Panzer Das Finale, Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, most of these are from the Sente Library. I will certainly uh, point out others that are from different libraries for those uh, for whom that matters. Uh, it's otherwise known as Girls und Panzer, for the full German impact. Uh, this is a, uh, this is all set in a girl's academy and it's very much about the, uh, the, the politics of, um, of the female interactions there, um, trying to get into university, um, the, the, uh, the, the track cup, the winter track cup, uh, that, uh, that will get you into university. Uh, it's some very, very specific stuff from very stuff that will probably really be only recognizable to people who understand the school system in Japan. But, um, it's, uh, it's nonetheless, uh, you know, it's got its moments. Uh, I wouldn't say it's, it's earth shattering animation or anything or, or great writing, but it is, it's okay. It's perfectly suitable. Uh, Shirobako is pretty, pretty well known from, uh, all of its various sources. This is Shirobako, the movie, and it takes place. This is a, a very meta anime. Those who who know the whole Shirobako thing, it basically is about the, the the politics and the adventures and the drama that takes place inside of an anime company. So it's anime about the making of anime. It's really the only one I'm aware of that that goes into that meta world. But it's actually really really fun and uh, I think pretty accessible, especially for kids that might have you know animation aspirations. Um, so it's, uh, you know, adapted from the series. This is the movie takes place, uh, four years later than the series, four years after the series ended. So, uh, that's pretty fun. Uh, then we also have 
is the Order of Rabbit Bloom. Now, this is the third series, not including the OVA, in the Is the Order of Rabbit uh, franchise, which is that and the next ones that I've got here are all kind of a little bit in the same general vein. Uh, is the Order of Rabbit uh, is, again, in a, in a boarding school, and it's about girls getting along in a boarding school. Nicely animated. Uh, it's got some really, really sweet stuff in it. The friendships are, are solid. The characters are very interesting. Um, Yu Yu Shiki, similarly, is uh, about a group of girls who are part of a high school data processing club and also their friendships. So it's, I think, a little bit less engaging, maybe a little bit less interesting visually and uh, narratively than is The Order of Rabbit. But Yu Yu Shiki sits in kind of the same territory. And then lastly, in this particular uh, vein, we have Hitamari Sketch. Say and Hero Graduation. Uh, these are the specials plus two OVAs. This is continuing the, the uh, original series that centers around uh, female art students and, uh, and their friends and you know, their neighbors and, uh, and everything that, you know, that is part of their world. Uh, I'd kind of put this a little bit between the two others. It's kind of the same thing. It's, I think, not as good as is The Order of Rabbit. Uh, maybe a little bit more accessible for, I think... Uh, um, American audiences than uh, Yu Yu Shiki, but all three are uh, are are pretty enjoyable in in their own right. Um, moving up to material that is a little bit more uh, more appropriate for teens and uh, and young adults, Rent a Girlfriend is the first one here, and uh, you can, this is available on Crunchyroll. A lot of these are you know you can you can find on Crunchyroll. But Rent a Girlfriend is about a guy who um, he's been dumped by his girlfriend. He's in college. And so he goes to a dating service to, quote unquote, rent a, a new girlfriend. And uh, the surprise is who it winds up being. Uh, it's not his previous girlfriend, but there's a whole little drama that transpires. It's actually rather sort of amusing and enjoyable. Uh, then the next one here uh, is Analog, spelled A-N-E space L-O-G. Not quite sure why it, uh, why it, the idea. I think it's, I think it's supposed to be a, a, a play on the word analog and anime, but um, doesn't make much sense. Anyway, this one's a little bit twisted, but it plays it okay. It's about a woman, a, a young young woman, who has um, a brother who's a little bit unusual, and had, you know, like as kids often do, brother once said he'd like to marry his sister, and uh, this, of course, now becomes a problem as time goes on. And uh, there are a lot of very, very risque scenarios that are supposed to be quite funny. Um, might be pushing the envelope a little bit, depending on your sense of humor, but that's the unusual premise. Uh, science fell in love, so I tried to prove it, is uh, just a, just a, a kind of a, a really stylized um, anime romance with some unusual um, kind of fantasy elements to it, let's just say this is it's a there are a couple of a couple of um, scientists who are doing these uh, these experiments to figure out whether or not they really love each other, and it uh, it's really it, it it's a it, it it's a little thin in the story department, but there's some really beautiful artwork and some some nice sequences here, and it's it's rather imaginative, uh, so style over substance, but not uh, inoffensive otherwise. 
The severing crime edge. I, I don't know what to make of this. Uh, I know this has kind of a following. I think the, I just, it, none of it makes sense to me. It's a very, very weird, uh, it's almost like you know, Lord of the Scissors is the only way I could put it. The, this whole thing kind of takes place in, um, it starts when, oh boy, how do you even get into this? It, 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 if you take the world of, of haircutting and salons and barbershop and you kind of dovetail that into a, a, a fantasy quest that involves cursed scissors and uh, a, a mission to have to kill the, the hair queen and, it, it, I, and a serial killer and there's all kinds of other stuff going on in here that doesn't, it's like part, I don't know, it's part Lord of the Rings, it's part seven it's 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 uh it's very unusual it doesn't all hang together and um i frankly couldn't get through it but it appears to have a uh, a following so there you have it um kakigurui xx the second x is typically put into parentheses uh, this is the season 2 collection so it will make no sense unless you've already um tapped into season 1 uh, this is based on a uh, on a manga originally, and it's uh, all in the world of gambling. It's about a school where gambling is a whole point. Picture Harry Potter, except they gamble. Uh, that's probably the best way to summarize it. Uh, didn't really work for me. Nicely done. Very nicely done. Kind of feels um, narratively like a stretch, but again, that has uh, that has a following. Uh, really enjoyed Taisho Baseball Girls. The, this is the complete collection. This is terrific. Uh, it takes place between the wars, 1925, and it is effectively a Japanese anime version of A League of Their Own. That's it. Girls aren't supposed to play baseball. All right, we're going to prove you wrong. And uh, 1925 is significant because it's the first year of uh, the reign of Emperor Hirohito. Apart from that, does not really get into any uh, any politics. It just wanted to pick a nice 1920s period setting which as League of Their Own did as well, shows a, a, you know, a few years later. But anyway, this is a, so Taisho Baseball Girls, I think is absolutely terrific. Really fun, good, you know, empowerment stuff for, for young girls. And then the last one here is Love Stage. This is the complete collection plus the OVAs. This is, uh, oh, how to put this. Um, it's about a guy who comes from a very famous family. His, his, his mom and his dad and his brother are all big entertainment celebrities, and uh, he winds up becoming a, uh, a manga artist. And um, after that, it takes some rather. Uh, th there's kind of a gender bending aspect to the uh, to the storyline that um, might be a little controversial for some people. So I would say uh, do your due diligence, buyer beware on this one. But uh, otherwise, uh, totally teen appropriate. Moving on, uh, we're now getting into stuff that skews a little bit more grown up uh, for reasons of sex, violence, whatever else it might be. Uh, Alice in Borderland, interesting title. This is actually pretty cool. This is uh, this is this kind of hits on all cylinders. Very accessible. Uh, this is basically an anime version of the Hunger Games with a touch of the Running Man and some some uh, some other of those uh, run for your life kinds of scenarios, but. Uh, for the most part, it's it really feels like Hunger Games. It's just a group of people in a post-apocalyptic uh, environment, and they have to play these very, very uh, deadly games in order to somehow reach 
um, to, to escape from this scenario. So it's pretty cool. Uh, really, really well done. Uh, <laughs> Mushibugyo is maybe the, the, this is the first anime title I've ever seen that sounds like a Japanese word, but it, it, it really pretty much describes exactly what the show is. This is like Starship Troopers in medieval Japan. Pretty much. Uh, Mushibugyo, they're mushing bugs is the idea. You've got a, a period of uh, feudal Japan where these giant bugs known as Mushi um, have now been attacking people. And, you know, it, there, there is now this, this war ongoing and a particular group of heroes and heroines who, who fight the bugs, much as they did in Starship Troopers. Again, Starship Troopers set in feudal Japan. Um, pretty interesting. Really, really good animation. I mean, really, really clever artwork, some really wonderful sequencing. Um, you know, the storyline, it is what it is. It's, you know, samurais and, and bugs. Uh, Jintama, the very final. So this is the third of the, this is the third and final installation or installment of the story that uh, was based on the, the famous manga. Uh, there's no way I could possibly even get into the, uh, the mythology of this. It's, you know, it's a, it is a particular group of heroes in a near apocalyptic situation fighting off a, a threat to earth and civilization completely. It's fantasy. It's a little science fiction. It's all of that. This is from Shout Factory, actually, from Shout Studios. And they pick their, their anime releases very carefully. And this one is really, I mean, if you, as long as you are sort of adapted to the whole Jintama mythology, it will, it'll really, really work. It's beautifully, beautifully done. Uh, if you if you're not, it'll be confusing as hell. Uh, El Hazard, we have two here. This this is from the uh, Nozomi Library, and uh, you can you can go to uh, Nozomi N O Z O M I E N T dot com to get more information on this. Uh, the Nozomi Library, El Hazard, the alternate, the, the magnificent world, and the alternative world. Um, Again, kind of a mystical world thing. The the idea here is that uh, you have these three students, these three high school students, and their history teacher who are, through circumstances I'm not going to explain, they wind up in this mystical other world known as El Hazard. And um, once again, you've got bugs. There's like this tribe of bugs that they have to uh, have to fight once they're there. Uh it, it comes and goes. There are a number of different installments to this series. There's Magnificent World, The Wanderers, um, a second installment of Magnificent World, The Alternative World. And um, what we have here is the Magnificent World, both collections, plus the OVA and the Alternative World. And um, it, it, it does feel, if you watch these together, as if there's something missing. And uh, it is a little bit hard to follow. I don't find the animation and the, and the character design all that compelling. But there are some nice special features on here. And uh, for people who are fans, I'm not going to dump on your parade. Onyx Equinox may have the best title ever for any anime I've ever seen. Uh, this is part of the Crunchyroll original series. It takes all of these Mesoamerican myths, uh, Aztec, Toltec, Mayan, Inca, whatever you might have, and it rolls them all into a kind of typically anime um, adventure, fantasy adventure. And uh, it, 
it's really kind of an interesting cultural fusion. It, it, I, I think it's absolutely fascinating to see all of these these uh, Mesoamerican myths and and, uh, and figures that we've never seen transported into a different context, animated in in a Japanese anime. Very interesting. A little bit like how Thor or say Hercules or some of these characters were adapted by DC and Marvel and given the American comic treatment, and we've obviously seen how Thor and all of the, the Asgardian gods show up in the Marvel movies. A little bit of the same thing here. I wouldn't be uh, opposed to seeing this turned into live action stuff. I think it's actually, I think there's a lot of fuel for the for the fire in Onyx Equinox. Really, really interesting. This is a complete collection from Sente. And then also from Sente is Monster Girl Doctor, perhaps the most obviously descriptive title of any anime I've ever seen. Um, it's a, it's kind of a kind of a little twisted Frankenstein-y thing here. Uh, this was originally, as I understand it, a a a, a kind of uh, what do they call the the manga novels? I think they call them light novels. Uh, they're like graphic novels, but they call them light novels. And uh, that's that was the original uh, version of this. I think it's supposed to be funnier than it comes off. Perhaps there are some cultural. Uh, divisions there but it's it's based effectively on the story of a guy who is a doctor specifically for monsters increasingly very attractive female monsters and when we say monsters we're not talking like frankenstein we're talking about you know attractive women with monster characteristics um so again some of it is, is a little bit odd. I think it's supposed to be funny, but, uh, you know, didn't really wow me, but it does seem to have moments and I'm not exactly tuned into the comedic aspects of a lot of these, uh, series. So forgive me for that, but, uh, that is monster girl, doctor from Sente, the complete series, complete collection. From Warner brothers comes RWBY volume eight. If you have not seen volumes one through seven, this will likely mean absolutely nothing to you, so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't invest much in it. But this uh, this is effectively female empowerment, and a lot of these that I'm going to talk about now kind of have a female empowerment angle to them. Uh, this takes place in a supernatural other world, a different universe called Remnant, and um, you know these four women who are fighting to save humanity and save the universe, defeating whatever evils and creatures are coming their way. This is kind of a final chapter or so it seems it's certainly set up that way, but I'm sure they'll come up with a way to have a volume nine, 10 and 11 until these things stop being profitable on some level. Um, it, it's fine. It, but again, it's really uh, for completists. The um, series Canaan, C-A-N-A-A-N, it takes its name from a, an interesting character or perhaps two interesting characters. Um, it's, it's a, it's really complex. It's very noir-like. It's, it's set in Shanghai. It's a, it's an espionage and a, and a, and an assassin plot. And it gets a little bit twisty and complicated. Uh, this one Japanese photographer and then this Middle Eastern girl named Kanan and the, the espionage machinations that are going on around this anti-terrorism conference. Um, but again, you got to really focus on this and, uh, especially if you're reading subtitles, it's going to be a little bit hard, but it's um, 13 episodes that are very, very dense, well-plotted, very interesting animation, some good character design, some very, very clever twists in the story. Highly recommend it. Um, my next life as a villainous, all roots lead to doom. One of those big mouthfuls of an anime uh, 
of an, of an anime title. This is the season one of this. You'll probably want to stick around for season two if 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 things like Free Guy or um, uh, any of pretty much anything that sort of is a, is a it has grown out of the Tron concept of living in a video game. Um, you know, the Spielberg film, Ready Player One, all of these things are kind of the, the preface to what's going on here. This young woman bumps her head, winds up in a video game, and she's being chased by everybody because she's now the villain in the game. Uh, there's a little bit more to it, but that's fundamentally what's going on here. And uh, I guess it's fine for what it is. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't recommend it for anybody except those who, who are really, really fans of the premise. We also have the third series of Is It Wrong to Try to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon? Um, again, if you're not already initiated into the mythology of this thing, I don't know that it really matters much. Uh, it's, it's fantasy. It's also based on a, on a light novel series. Um, but, it, you know, you really have to have already kind of caught up with this. So just for the, for the benefit of those who are fans, a third series is already out. Uh, I'm actually kind of a, a, a curious fan. This is another female empowerment thing. Uh, in Japan, it has a different title, but it's known here as Samurai Girls, Samurai Bride. This is the complete series. There, this is an alternate history story. So the, the premise here is that uh, one of the feudal Japanese shogunates um, never ended and wound up effectively being the government of Japan that, that during World War II. And so now we're in the post-war period and focused on a, a, um, a feudal academy where girls are trained to become samurai, or, well, women, young girls and young men are trained to become uh, samurai warriors. Uh, and um, this, is, this focuses primarily on these female aspiring samurais who um, have a connection to certain figures from Japanese history, which will mean nothing to anyone who is not a student of that history. But you, the nice thing is you don't need to be. It's, it, the action stuff is terrific. It's absolutely terrific. Beautifully, beautifully drawn, beautifully animated. Um, at times, you know, a little bit risque and, and somewhat lascivious, uh, but not so much that it's, uh, it's, it's that objectionable. So um, I would say, uh, you know, if... If you if you like that kind of edgy female empowerment stuff with you know maybe a, a slightly non PC twist to it, it might be your thing. And then lastly, before we get into Mecca, is Prince's Principal Crown Handler. Um, this is this is kind of a Dickensian, uh, almost Victorian setting here, and um, I think it's fine. Um, I tend to typically really like anime that is that takes place in period historical settings in Europe. I'm not quite sure this one is as exciting as all the others. It's you know it's it's a Victorian spy story, and um, there it has its moments. It has its moments, but otherwise it doesn't feel like it's quite top tier. So um, you know Victorian female female spies in Victorian England done anime style okay um with you know but it needs more than that so it's it's narratively it feels a little bit thin maybe as this series progresses we will uh, we will get something better out of it 
All right, moving on to the uh, to some mecha stuff, and then some really really cool stuff after that that is just uh, aggressively animated in the very very best way. But the mecha stuff, got to start with Broken Blade, the complete film series. This is from Sente. Uh, this is terrific. This is I don't know why this wasn't done before, but this basically has it, this is a classic Joseph Campbell, Luke Skywalker, you name the rest of them, hero's journey story in every conceivable way. You know, Frodo, whatever, whichever Lord of the Rings, whichever one you want to pick. But it takes place in the world of Mecca, so it combines magic and Mecca, and you need to have magic to control the Golem, which is you know a giant robot, kind of a classic anime trope. Uh, so if you if you you know, combine those two things. That's what you get in Broken Blade. I think it's absolutely terrific. Really, it it doesn't get overcomplicated. Doesn't overstay its its welcome at all. Uh, this is six parts on two discs. It's a, it is an actual film series, so it takes it doesn't it doesn't do what a lot of anime does and kind of live in the episodic structure. It really takes its time to breathe and develops the story in, in an amazing way and has some unbelievable animation and really some great artwork and and conceptual design. Um, and yeah, it totally knows its DNA. It, it knows uh, all of its its debts to, to everything that's come before it. But that's fine. It's just really, really cool. Broken Blade. And uh, equal to that is the Irresponsible Captain Tyler. Uh, this is also from Nozomi. And it's just absolutely great. Uh, this includes both the OVA and... Well, you, you have two separate uh, Blu-ray sets here. You have the original 24-episode series and then the 10-episode OVA sequel series on a separate Blu-ray. So, uh, you know, the larger Blu-ray for the series itself, and then the uh, follow-up. Um, the whole idea behind the irresponsible Captain Tyler is that he's this, he's sort of this, um, I guess I would say he's hes a little bit Mr. Bean, he's a little bit MacGyver, and a little bit Captain Kirk. I don't know if that makes sense, but if you combine Mr. Bean and uh, MacGyver and Captain Kirk, you get this guy, Tyler. He's a little bit of a loser, but somehow he stumbles his way, or maybe not. Maybe he's just, nobody quite knows. They, they, they can't decide if he's a genius or an idiot. And they, I think someone even says that at one point. But he, uh, he winds up in this in a futuristic scenario commanding a spaceship. And uh, in, in the fleet, he's part of the, this United Planets um interstellar space force and um winds up basically being captain kirk so he starts as mr bean he becomes macgyver and then he goes from macgyver to captain kirk in any case the adventures are smart there's some great comedy in this i mean really funny stuff and some really adventurous stuff the characters are terrific voice casting is great um you know sometimes the comedy gets a little bit slapsticky it gets uh, off on that in into that that area that uh that anime sometimes goes a little bit too broad, but otherwise really an awful lot of fun. So that is uh, the Irresponsible Captain Tyler from the Nozomi Library. And then last here, we've got uh, three titles that are not categorizable. Excellent, excellent animation in all of these. I mean, really aggressive, very uh, unusual artwork that is outside the usual uh, domain of, of anime. So uh, we're going to start with Flowers of Evil, complete collection, which is really twisted. 13 episodes here. It's a two-disc set, also part of the uh, Sente library. Um, it, it's, it's, it takes place in a, in a class, uh, it's a classmate drama, but it's, it's not what you would expect. It's, uh, it's not the usual politics of school and school girls and school boys. It's, it's a little bit of a twisted triangle, and there's a guy 
who has a crush. And then there's another woman who, who starts to blackmail and, you know, it gets a little fatal attraction-y. Um, really smart writing, very, very unusual uh, uh, artwork, uh, highly stylized. Very, very interesting. Really worth checking out if you want to uh, kind of see the more aggressive edges of anime these days. Flowers of Evil. Super, super cool. Um, also very interesting. And, and you know, I love it when they get into these, when they, they go almost for a, a, an animation style that is totally unusual and, and, uh, and outside anything that you usually see in anime. Uh, some of the character design here is still, it's still kind of a fundamentally anime character design, but um, it's, it's a little bit more... Um, a little bit more painterly i guess uh four separate interlocking stories about love and sex and human relations and the story is it's called happy go lucky days it's really cool happy go lucky days um very nicely done well written very adult very grown up it's dealing with sex and relationships and, and all of that but uh, a little bit like uh like a magnolia or a babble in some respects it, it really very smart very well put together and, uh, oh, and Flowers of Evil, it should be pointed out, I should mention this. Um, a couple of years ago, they did a live-action version of Flowers of Evil, which we have not seen. I don't believe it's been released on disc anywhere, certainly not on this side of the Pacific, but um, totally lends itself to that kind of a thing. So I'll be very curious to see what the live-action version looks like. And then we will end on the uh, digitally remastered re-release on Blu-ray of Vampire Hunter D. Amazing, absolutely amazing stuff. Uh, Vampire Hunter D, one of the best anime of all time. A total classic, and it's out in a remastered version on Blu-ray. If you're an anime completist, you've got to own this. Of course, anyone who knows the story knows it's about a, a woman with werewolf DNA who is bitten by an ancient vampire and then has to team up with the mysterious Vampire Hunter D in order to get revenge and resolve all of these uh, particulars and some really really awesome stuff happens thereafter very smartly written kind of a kind of a um a, a gothic classic in the uh in the corpus of anime so vampire hunter d is out in a remastered blu-ray and that also part of the sente library thank you for listening to this episode of digigods we'll be back in uh, about two weeks or so but please if you are in los angeles on the 20th tim and i would love for you to come down and see us and the rest of the film week crew at the ace theater on uh, march the 20th just go to scpr.org for more information film week oscar preview special Tim and i will be back in a couple of weeks hey.